With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Citations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of For All You Kids Out There, a Mets adjacent baseball perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. With me once again this week is Jared Seidler. Jared, the prospect lists are done. Prospect, well, well the, yeah. the first drafts are done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know, even though you won't read some of the prospect lists on the website for another month, uh, because of the Futures Guide book deadline, we actually have everything done by now. Mm-hmm. So this is usually the... I would say the last two weeks of December and the first week in January between uh, getting the annual stuff done and the getting the lists done for the futures guide are often very busy for us. And, you know, normally there's not a violent insurrection uh, on the federal government during that. Nor and, the uh, Mets trading for one of the 10 best players in baseball. Yeah. And um, It's been a week. It's I been could, one week could, of 2021 nor do I usually have medical problems, but that's not, uh, that's probably not strictly speaking true, but Uh, all all those things also happened in the last couple of weeks. So as we do, we will read some comments from the top 101 to help promote the 2021 baseball perspectives annual, which you can pre-order at Amazon, IndieBound, et cetera, et cetera. This week, I will do number 15, Christian Robinson, outfielder, Arizona Diamondbacks. Let's make a deal, hosted by Hugh Everett. Uh, For references' sake, that is the originator of the many worlds theory of quantum mechanics. Behind door number one, Robinson dominates the Midwest League in 2020, sending 400-plus foot shots through the frigid April night skies of Fort Wayne, Beloit, and Lansing. He continues to mash in the Cal League after a midseason promotion and ranks up with the top outfield prospects in baseball. He certainly has that level of ceiling. Behind door number two, Robinson struggles to adjust to full-season arms as a 19-year-old. College pitchers who can spin a breaking ball when they're ahead give him fits, and a high strikeout rate eats into his game power, although it still shows up in flashes. He slashes something like 246, 304, or 455, not bad given his age and experience level, but enough to knock him down the list a bit. Behind door number three, the 2020 minor league season is canceled due to a pandemic. Robinson struggles at times with the alternate site against more advanced arms and needs DNA ball. The all-star upside remains due to the power-speed combination. Likewise, the risk remains high given the swing and miss concerns. Nothing new is laid bare. Nothing made obvious. I feel like that's a good microcosm of our 2021 list process. Yeah. So I try at this point in the when we're reading this, at least before the one-on-one goes up on the website, which is usually a couple weeks ahead of when the book comes out, give or take. I try not to read off blurbs that are going to make it really obvious where we had like a controversial ranking, just in case, mm-hmm. I don't know, somebody's actually listening that cares about these things. 
So this is a controver- This is going to be a controversial ranking, but it's the same ranking we've had for three years. So right. whatever, who cares? Number twelve, Nick Madrigal. Madrigal became an even more extreme version of himself in 109 major league plate appearances in 2020, hitting 340 by making an extraordinarily large amount of contact and shooting the ball where they ain't. He also shut off next to no power, even less than expected. Of his three extra base hits, only one was actually hit over an outfielder's head. He didn't have a single batted ball all season, which that cast rate is a barrel. It's possible that the complete lack of wattage was due to an early season shoulder separation, which cost him just enough time to remain rookie eligible, and that he had surgery after the season to fix. It's also just possible it's also possible that this is just who he is. A singles machine on par with the Beatles, living in a world where top forty radio has given way to Spotify. That still has a lot of value, but it's not a superstar in the twenty twenties. After you made that same Beatles reference on the White Sox list, like Rob Maines DM'd me to point out that actually most of the Beatles singles weren't on the albums. They were released separately. Okay. No, whatever. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not thrilled that Magic Girl is still rookie eligible for exactly this reason. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the argument... This is the Willie Adamas problem. Like, I think we're both pretty sure he's, like, somewhere generally in the 55 to 60 range. Like right now, Madrigal or Dom? I mean, both. Madrigal. I mean both. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I think, but Madrigal's... he's probably not going to be better than that. So, at least it's more difficult to envision him being better than that than it was at this time last year. Sure. Like it's easy to see the All Star version of Christian Robinson. It looks a lot like you know, maybe Ronald Acuna, maybe George Springer, maybe. Uh, you know, Michael Conforto. I mean, not Michael Conforto. Yeah, maybe Michael Conforto. Like, there's like a like the power hitting corner outfielder that can maybe play center is very much a discernible, good baseball player type. We have more prospects on the list this year on the one one especially, who are for all intents and purposes, semi-established major league players at this point, like Sixto Sanchez has basically nothing in common with, oh, I don't know, Quinn Priester. Quinn Priester's not actually on the list, but, um, Big Abel, that's probably good. Sure. Uh, you know, Sixto Sanchez, we know what this looks like against major league hitting. We have a lot of data. We have a lot of years of reports. Uh, what it looked like the majors matches up with our years of reports. I mean, one spot behind Christian Robinson is Dylan Carlson. Right. Which, you know, I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah, I mean, and Carlson, we can, we can quibble about right or not. Carlson being a quote-unquote established major leaguer, but I suspect he is going to be in the opening day lineup starting in the outfield for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2021. Right. Um, there's just there's more players on here that in a normal season we would not have ranked. Yeah, you know, in a normal season, if Ian Anderson makes that kind of change up, he's up on what May fifteenth. Yeah, maybe a little bit later if they want to be sure about the Super Two clawback. But right, but he throws 130 innings in the major league. Right, so 100 innings in the major leagues, and we're not dealing with them. You know, the the idea. 
You know, I am pretty sure that Ian Anderson's like a present number two starter. Mm-hmm. Probably more sure than I've been for any pitcher that you've been in ranked five years. We've been doing this. I'm, I also don't think there's a great chance he's going to get to an ace. Right. There's I mean, the closest chance. the closest comp among, and we rank them similarly to starting pitching prospects that I can think of to. Ian Anderson is, funnily enough, Stephen Matz, who also only stayed list eligible because of his poor mattress that caused him Ian, to miss a couple starts. But the back Ian Anderson's a better prospect than Matz was at the same point. Yes, though. but I'm saying Matz also had the playoff starts as well that sort of artificially inflate his innings right. and our confidence. Right, but some of that confidence was still there was still some projection there, though, right. especially on the slider. There's no projection with Ian Anderson. He's within a half grade on everything presently yeah. of what he's going of what we would project him to get to. You know, maybe if the command just, gets a little bit better, but I'm at, I'm at pitch. Pitch, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it the stuff pretty much is what you know. It's a six six seven arsenal, and I yeah. don't think it's getting. I don't think there's another pitch getting to a seven. I think that the best chance. For a pitch to jump is probably to change up to an eight at this point. Yeah. But, you know, the command, I, I don't see another more than another half grade or graded command coming. Sure. If we were still doing the OFP likely, I would have argued for Anderson as an OFP seven likely seven, mm-hmm. which is, I don't think, a grade that we like ever gave out when <laughs> we did that. Right. Because it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Magical would have been an OFP six likely six. Yeah, we've done that with, we did that with Adamus, which is why I... Use that as a comp. And Adamus has turned into pretty yeah. much exactly the kind of... I think the shape of the production's been slightly different, but, you know, it's basically like a half grade more power and a half grade less of hit, so whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. I... You know, it was it was a weird. We wrote an essay about it. It was we a weird year to rank stuff. Mm-hmm. There's just like, you know, I I made this case internally, and I was I probably even shouldn't say I made this case internally. I made a case internally that we shouldn't do updated rankings this year ordinarily. I also made this case. Yeah, uh, but the people want rankings, right? They do. And as but, we well, mentioned at the outset, we do have a book to publish. Yeah, I mean, there's content reasons mm-hmm. here, and we certainly attempted to put together the best rankings we could based on the limitations of what we have, but there's, you know, the last guy we cut from the 101 was Noel V. Marte. Yes. I am absolutely sure Noel V. Marte is better than one of the top 101 prospects in baseball, 100%. Oh, yeah, I am too. But I don't have any confidence that he's actually better than like Tariq Skubal or Daniel Espino or Sam Huff or Jackson Coar. I mean, the actual, the actual probably like comparison sake comparison is, you know, would you take on pure pref? Would you take Noel B. Marte over Gabriel Arias? Um, yeah, but I don't think I can defend it. Yeah, that's where I am. I think that's about where you I think I can definitely take him over Perdomo, and I think I can probably even defend it. 
I can certainly get him over Edwards. I don't even like Edwards. Edwards would not be on my one-on-one personal preference. Right, Ed- Edwards is on... You don't think Xavier Edwards is good, but you don't have live <laughs> looks at Xavier Edwards right. in the... 22 live <laughs> reports we have on them all think he has a six hit yep so uh, but there's just i mean there's like places where we had to make inferences there's places where we moved guys up or down based on single source third-party scout reports which is usually not something that we would do to that degree um like there's a player on the 101 who we put on there based on, I mean, do you want me to say who it is? It's Michael Bush. Michael Bush is on the 101. Michael Bush is on the 101 strictly because of his fall instructs reports. Mm -hmm. Um, He was not really in the mix until we got two really strong fall instructs reports on him. And that's, that's unusual He's a, I mean, he was a first-round pick last year, so it's not like... Right, he's not like out of nowhere. Right. There was a guy out of nowhere, which I'm not going to mention, <laughs> because we didn't put him on the 101, who we did not... Who was, I would say, before we started the process, we would not have ranked in the top 300 prospects in baseball, but we had we had outside... We had scout looks on him that indicated he should probably be a one-on-one guy in the end we didn't actually put him on there because it just would have been too ridiculous and hard to support yeah if anybody can guess who that is (laughs) it's not it's not a met just to be clear yeah but if anybody can guess who that is and wants to you know Drop it. If anyone wants to try and guess who that is in the Facebook group or on Twitter or whatever, if you get it, I will tell you. You're not going to get it, but if you get it, I will tell you. Uh, well, that's been a meandering start to episode 261. Because, yeah, I, I mean, we, co- talk about we, co- we did do uh, 80 minutes on the Francisco Lindor trade this week already. Uh, we will do some more on the Francisco Lindor trade in the second half of the show with... The ringer writer and baseball show host, Michael Bauman. We're bringing Bauman in. And it was good timing because apparently Andrew Benintendi might be on the trade block as well. That's always good timing for Michael. It is always a good time to chat with Michael. But in the first half of the show, um, yeah. So I guess we'll see where this goes. I have been making some edits to the Mets prospect list because the Mets traded two of their top 10 prospects. And I feel like we kind of maybe half-assed the Mets prospect list discussion last week. So we'll get into it a little more. It went up, what? uh, Did it go up this Monday? It literally went up this Monday. I have no... Because I just, you know, finished the outstanding 10 lists over the course of this week. I don't know what's been published what's going up next week when anything is what day it is i assume it's sunday because we're recording a podcast so as mentioned in the lindor trade episode they did not trade they traded their eighth and ninth best prospects in depending on how you want to define it either a four player seven player or nine player system yes i think those are the tiers yes I will say as part of these edits, I moved Josh Wolf and 
Isaiah Green into the Cleveland list, and they're not in the top ten. No. They would probably not be in. It's tough to say because Cleveland's system is good, but the, the good comes more from depth than sort of a lot of high-end talent. I mean, we OFP 55, Wolf, and Green. That's a soft 55. Yes. Very and, soft. and Cleveland has a fair amount of, like, harder 55s. Kicking yes. around. Yes. Um, that, that's a good system. I it's think they'd probably be, like, somewhere system. in the 15 to 20 range, if I had to guess. Obviously, because of the weird nature of this year, we're not going that deep ordinarily. Yeah. I mean, number so, 10 is Carson Tucker, who was obviously a first-round pick this year. You know, arguably a slight overdraft based on his pre-draft rank, as much as that matters. But, but it's would, a much better prospect than either of these guys. Yes, I would take him over both of the... Um, you know, Tanner Burns I'd probably take. Yeah. Oh, Naylor. Um, we got good Lenny Torres reports. Yeah. Um, Other Logan Allen's probably a better guy than. Yeah, that's. I think that's that, more. But that's like way. around the yeah. area where you start. Um, Petey Halpin, Alex Free, Planez, they're in this area. Um, you could argue Joey Cantillo's above these guys. You could argue Daniel Johnson's above these guys. You could argue Emmanuel Posse is above these guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. So there's. You know, we're probably forgetting a couple of guys, too. Yeah, so they're probably broadly in the, I don't know, 13 to 20 range. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the eighth and ninth best prospects out of a system that has absolutely no depth to the point that the owner makes jokes about it on Twitter. <laughs> uh, so then I had to find a new number nine and number 10. And obviously Jalen Palmer goes from 10 to 8, which, yeah. again, is saying something. What's your, what you know... What's your level of certitude that Jalen Palmer's not a better prospect than the two guys they just traded to begin with? Because it's not real high for me. I mean... That's some good Jalen Palmer reports. Sure. So this gets into the... How long does draft status matter? Right. Jalen Palmer was a slightly overslot 22nd round cold weather prep bat. Yes, but we got good reports on him literally starting in that year's instructs. Sure. Like there's been heat on him the entire, there's been heat on him for two and a half years. Now. Right. He was literally a pop-up prospect. He grew like six inches in high school. Yeah. He was also young. So he's mm-hmm. a model friendly guy. I think he was 17 when he was drafted. Um, I mean, like any of these kind of discussions. And I think this also plays into the reason why it's silly to, rank past 10 is that yeah not very high basically yeah isaiah green you're actually 50 not 55 or Keenan, okay but, sure um, um yeah i mean who, who did you put i actually don't know who you put in the last two spots so we, uh franklin Col- it, but... franklin colome is definitely gonna be one of them yeah uh you know he, he ranked in the top 10 last year i think and he wasn't or maybe he was like 11. I don't know. It's something I'd go back and look at because I can literally just click on... I have the doc open. I can just click on this link and see where he ranked last year. Um, but he, like he wasn't 
that bad. Like, he did enough this year where I think dropping him, he was 11. 12. 12? was 11. Oh, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm still holding on to Shervia Newton. Yeah, I don't know if I can do that yeah. anymore. Um, Although I did discuss Newman or Newton for... Yeah. I don't have good honkball reports. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying they're bad honkball reports. I don't have honkball reports. So. I, want, I want to be clear in this discussion, by the yeah. way. The right answers to these are two of the recent IFAs. See, I'm not entirely convinced it is. Try figuring out which two, though. Like, I guarantee you two of these guys will end up being better than Franklin Colome in a year or two. Sure. I I ain't got no idea which ones. Mm -hmm. What kind of report, you know, if you can get a Robert, listen, we we heard the same thing as everybody else that Robert Dominguez was throwing in the upper 90s after signing. I'm trying to pull, like, Joander Suarez track, man, if I can find it. Like, this is where I am. We, we we know Robert Dominguez is and has maintained that velocity. Yeah. Um, if you can even find somebody that has actually seen Robert Dominguez in the flesh and blood throw, God bless you, because we can't. Uh, I I mean, I have it, but it's like third hand. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's like a scout friend's scout friend. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're talking about scouting Dominican instructs here. Mm-hmm. Was he stateside for? Uh, I think he was stateside. He might, he might have. Been stateside he might have been, for, I think he was stateside, but then again, they were only open for a couple of weeks. Right. It was an area of instructs that wasn't very as heavily scouted as some other areas, some other pods or whatever you want to call them. So anyway, the other names, um, you know, there's the guys that are on the others receiving votes, as it were, the Robert Dominguez, Alexander Ramirez, Freddie Valdez, who are obviously. Big IFA. Well, Dominguez was in a huge IFA bonus, but significant right. IFA acquisitions from the last couple of years. Yeah, IFA names are right here. And listen, if you want to put those guys in your top ten, sure. God bless. Um, I, you know, I played poker. I didn't play in the pit. <laughs> well, it's like it also comes to like, what am I writing for Alexander Ramirez? Um, and look, I have to kind of like massage a lot of dudes that. Don't have a ton of stateside experience. Haven't really played games. We don't the have a lot of new actionable information on. The only one of those guys we could get enough to write on is Freddy Valdez. Mm-hmm. Freddy Valdez might get enough to write on because he's played a little more than the other ones. So I think it's going to be Junior Santos. Our Junior Santos reports were garbage <laughs> from Instructs this year, by the way. Well, yeah, I mean... That doesn't mean anything, right? I was talking like he like. Do you know what he did for the rest of the year? Right. I, yeah. Again, if we had gotten even hold steady Junior Santos reports, he would have been in the top ten to begin with. Right. <laughs> and talking to a scout about it, he's like, "Yeah, I mean, he has the upside. He's probably not going to get there, but at least he has the upside." We didn't write a Junior Santos alternate report in the initial thing. Not because he actually was like the twelfth best prospect in the system approximately yeah. at the time, but he wasn't throwing well in instructs, and therefore we had nothing to say about him that wasn't going to be unfairly negative. Sure. So, like, what? What? You know. So it's basically going to be a right through report from last year. Yeah. And that's. You know, 
I guess we could write up Sir Van Newton instead, but... Which would also be a write-through report from last year. And his reports last year were worse than Junior Santos. This is why Santos ranked yeah. ahead. And also, he just went through Roll 5 again. Yeah. Which is not a great sign. But yeah, I mean, you look at... Let's go back to last year's Mets list. Mm-hmm. So, again, the top six are still there, and along with PCA, constitute the top. Well, no, because Jimenez is Jimenez also, graduated, yeah. Jimenez graduated and then got traded. Five, The other five in the top six are still there, and constitute five of the seven, along with two of the top draftees. Mm-hmm. Wolf at seven got traded. Eight is Peterson, who graduated. Nine is Santos, who our reports are, weren't great on, but, you know, he's at least the incumbent, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes. Again, it's not, like, really fair to hit he's a kid. A, he doesn't turn 20 until next August, either. Right, and basically the entirety of his season was ramping up. You know, our looks <laughs> are based on a couple of weeks of instructs in which he may have been ramping up to later instructs looks, which didn't happen because there was a COVID outbreak in the complex. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I don't know because we weren't writing him. I don't know offhand if he threw a Dominican instructs after that. He might have. Yeah. Might be something you need to find out. Uh, 10 is Thomas Zipaki. Jeffrey, would you like to give the 2020 Thomas Zipaki alternate site report? It's not what you want. Um, yeah. It, it, he was... His, his velocity... Listen. His Look, velocity, the velocities generally started with an 8. Yeah. I can sum it up this way. Thomas Zipaki was on the 40-man roster. The Mets needed a lot of pitchers. Mm. They never called him up. You know what that means. Yeah. You, you know what that means. But that's, that's, you know, if you're listening to this. 11 is Sherman Newton, who just passed through the Rule 5 draft for the second time. 12 is Franklin Colome. 13 is Jalen Palmer. 14 is Kevin Smith, who they traded for a reliever. A middle reliever. It gets funnier from here. Steven Gonsalves, who they lost on waivers. They DFA'd like the first week of the season, yeah. Yeah. Um, 16 is Freddy Valdez, who, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a, there's a world where Freddy Valdez, like, lights the Appy League or lights the Penn League on fire this year and is a top one-on-one prospect. I mean, he's already a right fielder. It's a high-maintenance physique. Yeah, but he, he could have, you know, he, he has the he has the power. Sure, you know, if he converts that into game power. He could move up this list very quickly. We do not have the information to move him up this list. Uh, we did not get particularly sterling Freddie Dow- Valdez reports. They were fine. They were a hold steady reports. Um, Seventeen is Harrell. <laughs> Eighteen is Jordan Humphrey. So they lost in the DFA trade. Um, 19 is Sebastian Espino. Minor, they lost I, in the minor league phase of the Rule yeah. 5. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, 20 is Dyson Acosta. Who I had a scout make an argument for at number 10. And then the low minor sleeper was Giordani Ventura. Who I also had a scout make an argument for number 10. But this system is absolutely decimated from where it was last year. Like, when, when you start talking about guys that we haven't mentioned in this discussion yet, you're talking about, like... Carlos Cortez. Yeah. Tony uh, DeBrell. Matthew Dyer, the fourth round pick. Ooh, did I get a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, but that's who you're... Uh, who is that Chuko kid they signed as an undrafted free agent that we got a good report on? Oklahoma kid? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember his name. I don't I, either. I have a funny story about him, but I can't tell you it on <laughs> air. Um, yeah, like, there's just, like, there's... There, <laughs> this is a very thin system. It's not Nationals thin. You know, God, I... I mean, it's, you know, like, it's so brutal in the upper minors, though. Yeah. Like, usually you could find... You like, you know, Andy it, Rodriguez... Again, I can't find, and, like, a 95 and a slider reliever to stick there. Again, if you have Adrian Hernandez, if you have Andy Rodriguez reports, great. All right, I'm just... I pulled up the Mets Instructional League roster for some other names of guys. Uh, Josh Cornelli has some buzz. Yeah. Um... We could have ranked Alex Sanchez again. That's what we could <laughs> no, we could not. Right. You know. uh, I already mentioned Yoander Suarez. Uh, Marcel Renteria is supposedly throwing hard once more. Is also 26. You now, Riley Gilliam's kind of a 95 and a slider, dude. Yeah. It's kind of on both of them. But... Yeah, I mean, it's also a curve, but yes. Yeah. It's, I know it's what you mean. Slider. Yeah. Um, Hence the joke about it being kind of on both the Yes, know. yes. But uh, it's kind of 95, and it's a breaking ball, but it's not a slider. It's a good breaking ball. Uh, you know, A.G. and Rubio and Junior Tillon are fairly recent, I think, low six-figure IFA infielders. Stanley Consuegra appears to be healthy again. <laughs> Great. Uh, again, if you want to rank Andy Rodriguez in your top ten, you might be right. Right, yeah. But... I have no way of knowing which of Robert Dominguez, Andy Rodriguez, Freddy Valdez... Robert Dominguez was not at Domestic Instructs, by the way. Right. I have no way of knowing which of those guys deserves to be on this top ten based on the information that we have the ability to access. In a normal year, it would be dicey. (laughs) Yes. In a normal year, it would be dicey but doable. This year, we're talking about a couple weeks of looks and we've only talked to what between all of us. I think we've talked to two pro scouts that were at Mets instructs. Is that, I think that's probably right. right. It's, it's like two or three. It's not like we've talked some of like the Arizona complexes. We've talked to like six, eight people that saw those teams, the Southeast Florida ones. It's a couple. Because there just there wasn't blanket coverage out there. Because there's five complexes and there's nothing else to do, and it's you know the COVID capital of the country basically too. So, hence the Mets getting their fall instructs cut, cut down on a COVID outbreak. <laughs> um, so you know we can go through the list one to ten and. 10 minutes or whatever, five minutes. Sure. Now, Mauricio's one. I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I mean, we basically, uh, for ranking purposes, I mean, national ranking purposes, just held him steady and moved him up on attrition, graduation, stuff like that. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit last week. Allen jumped Alvarez. Their stock is both up. Allen's is up more. 
Uh, we think that's mostly because it's much easier to evaluate. Uh, the delta is much lower on evaluating TrackMan in video for pitchers than it is teenage catchers. Right. It just is. We have more stuff to. We have more capable stuff to look at because you know, very hard to evaluate a catcher's improvements in receiving based <laughs> on like alternate site video, right? Yeah. So like, have you Alan's seen that? Like, have you seen those like pregame drills where they take out the jugs machine and just like shoot balls at them? Oh yeah. Um, you know, Alan had a bit of a swing change. Or excuse me, Alvarez had a bit of a swing change. Alan A little more velocity. Alan basically retained the gains he had pitching after the draft in short bursts and mm-hmm. longer bursts. Sure. And also, you know, the spin rates were really high. Uh, PCA had a good instructs. I think yeah. it's pretty safe. You know, that was that was pretty much our. You know, PCA was a one-on-one candidate. It wasn't right off of the list, but he might have made it if we went to one twenty-five. Yeah. Uh, and he definitely would have made it if we went to one fifty. He's he was pretty close. I like um, him. It's a profile I tend to like. Like. He could be Corbin Carroll in a year. I don't think he hits the ball quite that hard. But no, sure. He could be Alec Thomas in a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised again. He hits the ball pretty hard. We talked about this at the time of the draft. His stock was a little bit down because he didn't show great kind of in the spring leading up before in the spring before things got shut down, I yeah. think is pretty safe to say. Well, he got his. Uh... I feel like the dip with him was more like end of last year uh-huh. and our end of 2019, like some of the team USA showcases and stuff like that. He, he, his stock dipped. It was back up yeah. based on instructs to where it would have been maybe a year earlier. Um, Beatty. <sighs> I mean, he needed the he needed this yeah, year needed to have good performance in full season, and it didn't. He was an older draftee. He would have went to the South Atlantic League. He needed this year to show that he wasn't behind the draft class, and now he is twenty one. Yeah, and has yet to play in full season ball. He is the same age as the college hitters that will be drafted and played against not the world's greatest competition in high school, and we've got no idea if he can hit pro stuff yet, really. Yeah. Um, he looked fine in the Appy League last year, but not, like, blow your socks off. Um, six is JT Ginn, which, you know... I expect he will show up somewhere in late spring or early summer this year. Yeah, I mean, I think they can be fairly conservative with him. Um, seven is Mark Vientos. I think he had his Tommy John surgery right around the same time that Syndergaard did, maybe a little bit before. Yeah. So, that'll um, be the rough timetable. Yeah, Vientos is Brett Beatty with less raw power, basically. Yeah. Um, that's also... You know, both of those guys are third basemen now. I guess you could run Vientos out at shortstop somewhere if you had to. But 
those guys are going to start blocking each other's playing time pretty soon. Because I mean, they're... are they both third basemen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, those are going to be some interesting level assignments. I'll put it sure. that way. Uh, it was Josh Wolf. He's been traded. We talked about him a lot on the Lindor podcast. Uh, nine was Isaiah Green. Same thing. And ten is Jalen Palmer, who we talked about earlier. And we basically talked about it. You know, we didn't talk about Sam McWilliams. We talked a lot. We talked about, about Sam McWilliams when he signed. Yeah. yeah. Um, there wasn't really like. Let's take a quick peek at the spreadsheet before we wrap this up. I'll go through the 25 and under in 30 seconds while you're doing this. Sure. Uh, but Dom Smith won. I uh, don't think that's phenomenally controversial right now. Dom Smith looks like a all-star quality hitter who has a little bit of defensive utility. Not much. He's really bad in the outfield corners. They might play him there anyway. Uh, despite him being number one on the 25 and under, I would not go crazy trying to lock in 700 plate appearances for him this year. If they can sign George Springer, like sure. opportunity will arise somewhere, whether it's a designated hitter or a swing corner roll, it just will. Um, I had Jimenez and Rosario at two and three in that order. We talked about them obviously on the Lindor podcast and I had David Peterson at nine above, uh, right below Beatty, which was kind of the tear break for us. Uh, at least the first tier break, uh, you know, David Peterson looks like a present number four with a chance to be a number three. Woohoo. Good job. Um, that being said, you would ideally, if you are a team that wants to win the world series, you want your present number four starter in the sixth starter slot, not the fourth starter slot. That is what you would ideally like to do, especially if he is young and optionable. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to wrap this up with going through the Mets AA roster resource projections for this year. Ten minutes later. Yeah. Uh, Catcher, David Rodriguez and Nick Meyer. Nick Meyer might be a good enough defender that he's a three. They re-signed David Rodriguez. They did. He's got an NRI. Yes. Uh. First base looks like it's either Jeremy Vasquez or Joe Janord. Joe Janord against double A pitching might be entertaining. <laughs> There's a chance for like 30 home runs and 200 strikeouts there. Yeah. With like a 200 batting average. That might be fun for the residents of Binghamton. Second base is Carlos Cortez and Michael Paez. Somebody asked me the other day if Paez is still in the organization. Apparently he's still in the organization. I. Yeah. The, the better infielder they took in that draft, because Colby Woodman sees already <laughs> retired. Uh, well, the other infielder they took in that draft, Lake Tabiri, third base, also listed as double-A. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the Sandy Alderson amateur draft philosophy without <laughs> Jeff Wilpon interfering looks like, but I really hope the Stanford swing college hitter dude thing was yeah. a Wilpon deal, which I think it might have been. Shortstop Luis Carpio, who they brought back as a minor league free agent. He does have an NRI as well. Also, not a shortstop, but sure. Yeah, sure. I think he played some shortstop. that actually ends up being Mauricio. Could be. They haven't listed an A+, plus, but... Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot I of these... Like, a lot of these, you just have no idea what the assignments are going to be. So. Right, like, 
Mauricio, on a normal schedule, would have probably played most or all of last year in high A. I don't think they were going to send him to repeat low A. Yeah. So he would be ready for double A this year, but I have no idea whether you're going to consider him still ready. And I don't. I think teams themselves are going to make different decisions. On that, so. uh, outfielders, you've got Zach Ashford and Jake Mangum. Yeah. I think Jake Mangum might be a bench outfielder eventually. Hmm. Yeah, he might also, be. A, I, I, I tuned him. He might be a three. Players. Yeah, I I think Carpio is probably a three. Everybody else we've mentioned is a two. Um, starting pitchers. Mangum's probably a three. I tuned him. If you want to three him, it's fine. Like I don't, I don't think he has the physicality to actually hit enough. But uh, yeah, for sure. Pitchers: Tyler McGill, Tony Debrell, Kyle Wilson, Tommy Wilson. Adam Euler. Wilson's still in the system? Wow. Uh, Colin Holderman, yeah. also still in the system. I mean, Haye is Michael Otania, is Willie Tavares, Jason Valera, Jose Budo, Tyson Acosta, Nathan Jones, and Garrison Bryant. I suspect Tyson Acosta will actually start in double A, but whatever. I floored Nathan Jones. Like, he's not that bad. Uh... There, there was, like, a little bit of projectability mm. there. and There was, like, some feel for spin. And I don't think I actually bad. saw him because he got hurt, like, immediately. Yeah. bad. I saw him in the penalty playoff. Yeah. Yeah, like, it wasn't bad. I There was, like, an outcome there where he was decent. And bullpen at Marcel Renteria, Iso Campos, Andrew Mitchell, who I do like a little bit, Bryce Hutchinson, and Mitch Reagan. Didn't they give Bryce Hutchinson, like, a lot of money at one point? Yeah, he got, like, mid-six figures. Okay. Well, All right, that was, that's, uh, yeah. That's that that's no the Mets cap. system. That, that was, yeah, 40 minutes somehow. Let's take a break. We come back. We'll talk. Francisco Lindor trade and University of South Carolina outfielders with our good friend, Michael Including Allen. Carlos Cortez, maybe. Well, yeah, I guess he counts. To, I guess this is an off-season roundup, winter meeting, hot stove chat. There'll definitely be some South Carolina outfielders mentioned with our good friend from the ringer. It's Michael Bauman. How's it going? Hey, boys. It's going so you... okay. Well, you know, that's a complicated question. <laughs> I'm just going to treat that as, a, uh, as the perfunctory greeting that, that I'm sure you intended it as. Well, yes. uh, we'll we'll just start where we left off before we started recording. What are your thoughts about living in Dunedin, Florida, for a couple of years? So I, how Craig Craig Goldstein is either not going to listen to this or he's going to yell at me for mentioning that I went to to St. Pete last summer. But I really liked it down there, like the Pinellas side of uh, the Tampa Bay area. I could I could be okay living there, like if it's a. A five-year contract. If I'm George Springer, if in the uh, the hypothetical we were throwing around, and I live for a year in Dunedin and I live for the next four in Toronto, that's that's pretty solid. Not can, a bad place to spend your early thirties. You can go to uh, Hulk Hogan's restaurant, which is in that general area, called Hogan's Hangout, which was a thing on Twitter briefly this week i mean a lot of other stuff happened on twitter this week so you might have missed it but, yeah uh, that, that definitely blended in with the rest of the background noise yeah the best um, eats and drinks on the beach now is this different from hogan's beach shop 
Uh, I think it's attached to it. Okay. Let me find out where this actually is. What kind of restaurant is it? That's a good question. Um, it's the it's... kind of restaurant where there's an entire section of the menu for just different monster energy drinks. Okay. It's in Clearwater, actually. We're uh, just a, a huge missed opportunity for this not to be a hoagie place. Hmm. But Hogan's Hoagies. <laughs> Hulk's Hoagies, yeah. 6,500 square feet, two stories, 29 TVs with premier AV packages, whatever that means. Okay. Let me tell you something, brother. There's only one place to hang out on the beach, (laughs) and that's right here at Hogan's Hangouts. This sounds... So it sounds like the sports bar in North America I would least like to go to. Um, There's like some... So for some reason, this was why it showed up on Twitter. Uh, I mean, besides the entire section, that's just Monster Energy Drink. They have peel and eat shrimp, but it's it's listed on the menu as peel and eat shrimp. <laughs> I don't know if that's a floor. I I don't know if that's a Florida thing. Uh, oh man, they have oysters. I don't know how I feel about. And I like oysters. To be clear, I don't know if I trust. Uh, raw shellfish in this environment i don't know it's clear water it's close enough to the yeah i guess that's true to the ocean yeah like it's florida but they do have like a department of health right (laughs) do they (laughs) how sure are we no you know i i spoke without thinking there there's a uh official hogan's hangout bobblehead you can get apparently of him is doing the, the it is he's doing the one of his famous poses in the red and yellow non-branded red and yellow merchandise uh get some nice apparel you can get a collectible bottle koozie magnetic bottle opener some tumblers i was gonna try and go to the beach shop when on my Never actually happened Tampa trip of twenty twenty. But uh yeah. So that's how Francisco Lindor now. And Carl's Cross. Before we do that, I just want to mention you could also get a uh, limited edition Hogan hangout twenty ounce wine glass. (laughs) For the I mean that's more than the Sam Allardyce pint of wine, right? Yeah, that is. That's like, I mean, uh, 750 milliliters of wine is like 23 ounces. So you could literally pour almost an entire bottle of wine into it. Oh, my God. That's going to be difficult to drink out of at some point. Like a stemmed wine glass that big? That's It is stemmed, yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, I guess you have like the, like, novelty, like, scorpion bowl type things. But those have like a shorter (laughs) base. And you're not really picking them up anyway, so. Yeah, that's for wine with a straw. Yeah. Yes, Francisco Lindor is now a Matt Michael. I started writing about this, and yeah, you know, I addressed this in in my column. That, in the course of thinking about this trade return, I and I obviously don't know the, uh, the two prospects that the Mets sent back as as well as you guys, but this might be a more lopsided trade than the the bets and price deal because Carrasco's so good and he's so cheap and 
like this is the salary Cleveland was dumping. I it's it's so easy to build an absolute juggernaut that even the Mets are, are on the verge <laughs> of doing it. It's really incredible, like covering baseball or even following baseball in this day and age. Well, we've created. I was having this debate with Craig in GChat because um, of a Twitter poll that Anthony Decomo put out about what the best team in the National League is right now, and it's so stratified. Yeah, because like the Padres obviously made a ton of moves and were already a very good team. The Dodgers have been a juggernaut for the better part of a decade now and don't appear to be slowing down. You know, the Braves made significant moves to beef up their rotation, which is probably the sort of the one question mark they have going into 2021, at least in terms of depth. And, you know, you have Freed and Anderson at the top there, but Stroke is coming off a bad injury. Kyle Wright hasn't really ever figured it out. I mean, they were literally starting like, was it like Josh Tomlin at various points in time yeah. down the stretch. Um, and obviously a great lineup as well. And then, I mean, somebody's going to win the NL Central, but beyond that, like the rest of the league, it's not, it's almost non-competitive. Yeah, there's, I think that there's a, there's still a big step from the Dodgers down to that second tier with the sure. Braves and Padres and you throw the, the Mets in there probably at this point, um, depending on how a couple things shake out for them. Um, but all three of those teams, I think, are plenty good enough to to beat the Dodgers in a short series, um, which is really all you could hope for at this point. And then, there, yeah, you get to, like, I'd say you throw the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Nats, um, and a couple others in that, that pot of, like, they're going to make up the last spot or two of the NL playoff picture and just get torched in the first round like we saw, um, like, happened to Colorado against Milwaukee a couple years ago, where it's... Like the records are close enough, but it's just a completely different class of team. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel a little uneasy making uh, concrete predictions just because the free agent market has almost not moved at all. So, you know, we talked, you talked about that Braves lineup. We don't know what's going to happen to Azuna. Um, we, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to Trevor Bauer or half a dozen or JT Real Muto. Like one or two of these. Uh, free agents leaving a hole in one place or filling a hole in another place could uh, shake this, shake the balance of the league up a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's the Dodgers. And then there's a, another group of two or three teams. And then, you know, they're, I don't, I don't see anybody else really within striking distance of that. What, what do you think Lindor ends up doing do you just think he extends now i think so i you know i think there was a point where he was eager to um to be the guy in cleveland long term and it became obvious to him as it was to everybody that that just wasn't going to happen but yeah I, i think yeah i could see him extending before he you know doing the mookie Betts thing where okay, like, this is the money that I want. This is a winning team. This is a good environment. Like, I don't see why he wouldn't want to commit to them long-term. Um, Crazy that we're saying that about the Mets, by the way. Let's just also one, yeah. of the few te- also one of the few teams, like, even if you were to hit free agency, that's probably willing to offer him $350 million or whatever. Right. And I don't, yeah, I don't know what the, uh, what the market is for him. Like, we just got to a point before the pandemic where I felt like I had a good handle on 
on what those free agents were going to, you know, what those top end free agents were going to make during the era of the, the capital strike that we were under before. But I mean, the bets contract was, was big, but there was so much deferred money in the, uh, the, uh, annual value was not what it would have been if he had signed, uh, a year earlier. So, but also Mookie Betts is such a good player. It's hard to even, it's hard to even extrapolate, from somebody like him to somebody like Lindor, who's, you know, depending on on who you ask and, and how well he's playing, like as much as a top five player in the league or a top five position player, at least. So I don't yeah, I don't know what he's going to sign for, but I don't see any reason why he wouldn't extend. I think yeah. you know, they'll they'll reach something and I think they'll do it relatively early in the season. That's um. That's both of our opinions, but a lot of the local New York media is actually playing this like this is a one-year rental, and even even though Alderson himself has been very clear that they're intending to extend him when they can do so, and they might wait until after the 2021 arbitration figure is settled. But yeah, that makes sense too. Um, I just don't, I don't see any reason why that's you know it wouldn't shock me. I guess if if he played it out and went to free agency, but nothing that there's nothing I'm aware of that, that would like lead me to believe he wouldn't want to resign with the Mets or the Mets wouldn't want to resign him. Well, I will say if this is a one year rental, they still made, they still <laughs> made out better in the, the deal than Cleveland did. So one of the wild things for us as Mets fans and quasi media, I mean, we're media, but we're only like quasi Mets media. Um, is just how little they've been leaking, because the Wilpon Aramets leaked like an absolute fucking sieve. At times, I would know stuff before members of the front office did. I, I several times told members of the Mets front office things that they did not know about their own team. <laughs> so, uh, but ever since Jeff Wilpon left and that group of people, many of whom talk to the media a lot, left. There's just been, like, nothing. Like, the the first Jeff Passan, this deal might be happening, to the official announcement was, like, a half hour. Yeah. Um, and we had heard nothing about Lindor uh, since probably, I don't know, early December, give or take. Like, there was no... There was no media speculation. There were no rumors. There was nothing. It was just... You know, the passing bomb written in a way that was very clear that he knew the deal was already done, too. Yeah. Like, you can you can tell when those are, you know, when you're when you're getting the leak, the deal is actually happening versus when you're getting the agent side leak or one of the GMs being angry. It was like, and, and I was confirmed it was done in like 15 minutes. It was it was yeah, players and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the, the first passing like I thought we had like maybe another 12 hours, but it was yeah. like, we knew the whole deal and it was, it was done. Like you said, like in less than an hour. I, so. I mentioned this in a Slack channel. Um, like I was attempting to find out the players, but I was pretty sure they were going to come out before I found them out. And that indeed did happen because like, you know, they were just like the details of the trade were just coming like every two minutes. Like, Oh, Hey, Carrasco's in the deal. Oh, hey, Jimenez is in the deal. Oh, hey, these are the prospects. The fourth guy's Ahmed Rosario. It's not <laughs> Ronnie Mauricio or Jeff McNeil or somebody like that. Mm. Oh, hey, that's the entire trade. 
Official announcement! <laughs> Mets posted it on Medium, which is the thing that they do now. Yeah. I, I just... I, so it's been fascinating kind of following them and, like... I just, like, I have no idea if they're still in on Dirt Springer or not. I assume they are, because why wouldn't they be? But uh, certainly everybody I talked to prior to this trade thought they were going to sign Dirt Springer. Nobody thought they were going to trade for Francisco Lindor, so what's that actually worth? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It's think- disconcerting to watch the Mets operate this way. I said it like, on Craig's show. It's like, it's weird. They're just, like, blandly competent. Yeah, yeah. Like they hired a good, strange. they made a good GM hire that has about the you know a broad background in both scouting and analytics and how a modern baseball operations department works. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot, like the different types of owners that you get. Like personally, from like a, a standpoint of ethics, I think Steve Cohen should be in jail or <laughs> and or like gibbeted in a public square where people can throw fruit at him um but failing that if we're gonna have an economic system where people like this own sports teams this is the best case scenario right like you want somebody who's gonna serve as the team's financial guarantor allow allow them to spend enough to win and put smart people in charge and then get it out of the way and the mets had the opposite of that for a long time if, you know uh, in every in every aspect <laughs> yeah and like not only were they taking money out of the club they're interfering with everything and like even an involved owner who wants to spend but also demands to have uh like decision making power like we call that the Artie moreno <laughs> i mean i call that the jerry jones or the, yep. the ed snyder like it's a disaster i'd almost rather have a disinterested owner who doesn't want to uh doesn't want to make decision uh make decisions if he gets out of the way and lets his front office people do their job because that's just an absolute disaster but they've got you know they've got somebody who seems to be willing to let sandy alderson um do his stuff and you know if, if that guy comes with you know spend to the cbt threshold budget then I don't, i'm not really sure what more you can ask for as an owner he seems way more interested in shit posting on Twitter than like getting involved with transactions. Like all he wants, he actually really hasn't commented on the Lindor stuff on Twitter. He's just been dunking on Laura Goldman and talking about black jerseys some more. Yeah. Honestly, I can respect. I can respect that. From my my one of my many complaints about billionaires is they aren't fun. Like if you've got that kind of wealth. And all you're all you're interested in doing is watching the scoreboard tick up. Like, if if you have billions of dollars and you're not living Brewster's millions, then you don't deserve to have billions of dollars. Like you, you're barely human at that point. So I'm glad that Steve Cohen's actually getting his proverbial money's worth out of this. But he's not doing it. Like he's not getting involved as best as we can tell. And again, the Mets really aren't leaking right now. But there's been there's no story of Steve Cohen going like, hey, I want input on the Francisco Lindor trade. As best as we can tell, he just wasn't involved in it, which and is he's like great. tweeted before. It's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'll call Sandy tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And honestly, like, <clears throat> that's the way I'd behave if I were him. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, I hired this guy who's, you know, this Hall of Fame caliber 
what's I you know there should be a law that everybody ought that there ought to be like title conformity in baseball because I'm sick of <laughs> differentiating between GM and president of baseball operations or you know uh, like grand potentate of baseball <laughs> operations or whatever whatever Sandy Alderson's job is he's one of the best to ever do it so just let him cook and like say yeah go you know, go acquire these guys from Cleveland, these two really good players, and, and I'll write the check for $35 million to, to pay them for this year. What do you see them doing for the rest of the offseason? They're getting kind of close to the luxury tax. They have been noncommittal about whether they're willing to go over it this year or not. Springer's out there as a name. Jackie Bradley Jr. is out there as a name. We weren't, we're not going to let you off without talking about Jackie Bradley Jr. here. Yeah. Um, Liam Hendricks, DJ LeMayhew have all been rumored with them. Bradley is not a bad fit for this team because I think just like good center field defense could go a long way. I mean, maybe this is not the right audience uh, for that. People who have watched Juan Lagares for as long as the the Mets had him. But just like a a really good defensive center fielder, there are a lot of sluggers on this team, particularly if you're going to like put Dom Smith in left field, like I'd be willing to punt that one spot in the lineup to get Bradley's glove and center. And, you know, if you get one of the good Bradley years, you're not punting that spot in the lineup at all. Um, yeah. I don't know what he's going to get. Like if it's a, if it's a matter of like $22 million for George Springer versus like $10 million for Bradley, I'd probably rather spend more and get Springer. But uh, if they run up against a budget cap and have to make that choice, I think he'd, he'd fit that team. And he could, I guess it's not reuniting with Carlos Cortez and <laughs> and uh, Gene Cohn. And, or they traded Adam Hill, didn't they? Yes. So, yeah. Is Gene Cohn still in the no, system? No, he's not still in the order. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we actually I, we had Carlos Cortez talk in the first half of the show because we were oh, going dude? over candidates which, to make the Mets top 10, and he's at least on the fringe of it, which is not saying much because, yeah, he does. Man. His uh, pro career has not went as... No, I mean, it's gone exactly as I expected. <laughs> I heard they were working him out at first base. That's how his pro career is going. Yeah. He's played some left, too. Yeah, yeah he played some left in college, too. But... He's still doing the switch throwing. I was going to say, he's if playing, he's playing yeah. first base, what yeah. what hand's he throwing with? He's throwing lefty playing first okay. base. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's... Uh, you know, he, they're... They seem to be grooming him as a super utility player, to be kind. Uh, yeah, one of those super utility guys. Like, I don't know if the glove plays anywhere, right. but I think there's... That's uh, never stopped Sandy Alderson before. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> and that that is sort of, like... I mean, the lineup's so good, I kind of don't give a crap about this, but the Mets sort of are a team where it looks like a lot of people are playing one step further right on the defensive spectrum than they should be. Um, so I guess Cortez fits on fits on that level. But I mean, they not traded, that he's gonna... they just traded for one of the three best defenders in baseball. So maybe that maybe that time is ending. Maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe. They say that when they roll out JD Davis at third base opening day. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just going to say J.D. Davis at third base is more tolerable with right. Lindor playing next to him. When he doesn't he have to really go to his left ever, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Is, is, what, 
I know this is outside the Mets purview. What do you what do you think is happening with Real Muto at this point? I'm teeing, I'm teeing you up for a Phillies. Yeah. Question. My and this is not a homer answer, even though it sounds like it. He's so much more valuable to the Phillies than he is to any other organization. And if they even pretend to have money, they ought to be develop. They ought to be um, devoting it to him. Like if it's anywhere south of like thirty million dollars a year, just just write him the check because you can't get that level of production the way the rest of that roster is set up. You can't get that level of production for for that money anywhere else in the league. And so I don't know. I don't know if John Middleton's uh, like going full, if the, the cigar business took a, <laughs> took a nosedive during the pandemic and he's all of a sudden broke and uh, doing the Tillman Fertitta here. But I, d- I don't understand why this deal wasn't done uh, 10 months ago. I'm shocked free AEC hasn't popped back <laughs> up since i know. think he did a couple oh, days ago okay. yeah I, this oh. was i mean this is how crazy a week it was i got a g chat from i think it was from meg rally about free aec and i didn't respond to it because i was tearing out my hair doing seven other things but i think he's i thought he died with the snake thing but <laughs> apparently can you explain the snake thing to our listeners <laughs> no no i can't Honestly, there's there's a guy from Jared. He's from South Jersey, right? He's one. I of believe mine. so. Yeah, yeah, that's a pity. The um, snake thing was one of the top five days on Philly's Twitter I've ever seen. Yeah, like in, in the in the very early days, like this was like when I was like when Paul and I were writing our our little tiny two man Phillies blog like eleven years ago. He was commenting on like good fight and all like when uh the espn comment board was like hooked up to facebook like he was just all the time uh all the time yelling about how the phillies were not spending enough and how it was felony fraud was the yes was the catchphrase he, and, he seemed uh, to imply a lot that john middleton was having relations with condoleezza rice i recall <laughs> it all just I have a hard time remembering this, like remembering the details because they're so ridiculous that um, anyway, apparently he's got like shocking to, to nobody, like ties to, to white supremacist uh, uh, like fringe organizations or whatever. He's not organized enough to actually do anything as far as I know, but like uh, and apparently is... owns a lot of poisonous snakes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you put together owns a lot of poisonous snakes and from South Jersey and loud <laughs> on the internet, like you get to white supremacy before too long. But uh, there, yeah, there was. Did the cops have to come in and and like liberate him from his? <sighs> All right, let me see if I can find the actual I, article. Yeah, I I almost don't want to mangle this story because it's so weird. Well, I think it took like a little bit of time for people to realize that uh it was him oh yeah but once that happened i read read uh, the story about the guy with the snakes right on the internet i was like oh that's messed up and then like three hours later somebody was like you know that's that's the scammies guy (laughs) (laughs) i so much of this has been lost to i know it's it's the old internet yeah there was 
right, some I'm, of that's good to be I clear. feel really fortunate to have like cut my interneting teeth in Philly's Twitter like 09 to 2011 2012 like that yeah. that was the golden age oh, yeah um I definitely wasn't on Twitter at that time. As everybody knows, I only joined Twitter in, like, 2016. Right. Um, So, yeah, that really was, like, just a wild, like, time and place. And I feel like a lot of what we found funny at that time, like, would no longer be funny in 2020 after we went through, you know, an attempted fascist coup. Like, but... Was this Just literally like, only last year that this happened? <laughs> or is this a different poisonous snake in South Jersey story? <laughs> I think it was last year. Yeah. It's, it's, You've been underground for a while. 2019, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see if I can find Final it. Man fined $5,000 yes, for bedroom of press of Atlantic City. Vineland Man. <laughs> which is which is indeed the South Jersey equivalent of Florida Man. Yeah, the 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 face I made with when you said Vineland Man is why if anybody tells me what Mike Trout <laughs> thinks about any political issue, I will punch you in the face. <laughs> I uh, um, don't wanna know. I had a college friend from Vineland and he was like the heir to like a meat company i mean multiple of, of my social circle at hampshire were from wildwood so no 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 no, no, no wildwood, wildwood is, is a, a completely different, different kind of racist yeah. south jersey weirdo <laughs> yeah no 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 um vineland is more alabama than wildwood yeah. uh yeah it's it's um it's it's a vineland you it's can like make an argument that Vineland is more Alabama than Alabama. Yeah, like it's it's like a it's like a southern it's like a Sunbelt industrial town uh. basically. Uh, it's yeah, Wildwood is Jersey Shore trash. Vineland is Alabama. Yeah, mm. there's really no better. I mean, just like Alabama to like you know where Michael's from is only. <laughs> 40 minutes probably Vineland to you know yeah field type area um but it's it's like entering different worlds it's like, weird there's a, a moment when you're driving like essentially like the philly to, to atlantic city drive there's a moment where like the bougie upper middle class part and it, like this is where i grew up was right where the bougie upper middle class um section turns into the pine barrens yeah. and, and i went to college in the pine barrens and i only went to yeah. college 10 minutes from where you grew up so yeah <laughs> a total of 16 snakes were removed from the residence 15 of which were venomous the venomous snakes included 14 cobras of various species including several spinning cobras in addition to the cobras there was a green mamba loose in the same room was an african forest cobra believing to be the one that bit its owner that was eventually captured wasn't there a I, Weren't there other reptiles? Yes. Did I make that up? No. Okay. There were spiders. 30 plastic containers, most of which were occupied by tarantulas. <laughs> I just, yeah. And this was Philly's Twitter in like 2011. Yeah. Well, this guy, to be fair, was not representative, but he was a 
No. Yeah, we all knew of him. To be clear, Philly's Twitter from that area has produced multiple major league front office people. It's produced multiple <laughs> big name writers. It also produced this guy. <laughs> the venomous snake guy. <laughs> yeah, I like to think um like I'm in terms of, of Philly's Twitter alums, like if Corinne Landry, the 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 second female GM in MLB history, is on one end and AEC guy is on the other, I'm like Dead in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Who actually would be dead in the middle? That's interesting. <laughs> uh, let's just move on. <laughs> oh. He's he's too coherent to be like completely like right smack in the middle. Like there are times when he gets when he gets scammy level angry on the internet, but but he tends to make sense most of the time. Yeah. Oh, what do, do you think the Phillies are going to do anything else other than maybe sign Real Muto? Like, what's going on there? I what it looks like is not unlike the uh, it, what it looks like is the the situation that I described earlier that John Middleton's broke and, and, or is, is, uh, unwilling to spend as much money as, and is necessary or as much money as is necessary to be competitive. And so they're going to, you know, say, Oh, we signed Harper and Wheeler and just sort of roll back from there. And I mean, the problem with that is, They've been really bad at drafting and development. So, like, You're rolling even out you get Adam Hazley, Roman Quinn, Mickey Moniak outfields. Yeah, and so, like the they've they've hit big with a couple early first round picks. Like, even after producing, the problem is not that they're not producing guys like uh, Alec Bohm and Aaron Nola. It's that they're not producing the guys who make up the rest of the twenty five man roster, and so they're just going to have a very top heavy team. And you know, I think the the past couple years, um, they've underperformed for reasons that are sort of fluky. Like, you know, they probably make the playoffs in, in 2018 if, uh, um, or 2018 or 2019 if the entire team isn't going to war against Gabe Kapler. They'd probably make the playoffs in 2020 if, um, they don't if they, if they had, had a below like, average what, bullpen. Right. If they had had one of the 30 worst bullpens in Major League Baseball history, they would have made the playoffs last year. But unfortunately, they had one of the two worst bullpens in Major League uh, Major League history. I mean, I, I just the the last um, like they went into the last weekend of the season essentially needing to win one game based on the the, the help they got from the other teams at the um going for the eight seed they needed to win either one or two games and they had nola wheeler and eflin lined up and you know they didn't make the playoffs and they earned every bit of not making the playoffs and you know that kind of stuff just happens but there's no room for like there's gonna be i i struggle to think of a bigger downgrade from position to position um than if they let real muto go and replace him with andrew knapp and like it's you go from the best or second best catcher in baseball to one of the worst starting catchers in baseball. It's a huge hole 
offensively and defensively that they just can't afford to uh, they can't afford to have. And so again, like I keep coming back to, I have no idea why they didn't do whatever it took to, to keep him in, in the fold. And, but you know, and he seemed perfectly willing to come back and if they lose him, it's going to ruffle feathers. Like, you know, you're, you've got, uh, what, 11 years left of Bryce Harper, and <laughs> he's just shouting at nobody in particular because he knows the TV mics can pick him up, you know, sign <laughs> JT in the you know the middle of, of practices. And, like, that's not sustainable in the long term. So there's just too much at stake. And I have to, you know... The other thing is, I don't know where else he lands. Like, I, I haven't heard him, like... There was the, the link, or the, the rumor that, like... Cohen was going to make Real Muto their their statement signing because one, he's the best player in the market. Two, to stick it to the division rival. But after signing McCann, there's no need for him there. So you know, I don't know where else he's going if he's not coming back. I mean, I you guess it's too obvious for to be the Nationals or the Padres. Not the pot. No, the Padres, Padres have, have Nolan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Austin Nolan is a 31 year old catcher that's barely played. I know he's good, but he can also play other spots. He's like. Just- Traded a top one on one prospect for him. Sure. I don't. I don't think the Padres are. Yeah. I would say the Angels before the Padres. Sure. I think. Um, the Blue Jays. You know the Blue Jays have Danny Jansen. They have Alejandro Kirk. Yeah, and I mean the other thing too is it's possible his market comes down and the Phillies still aren't in on it. So you know if he's taken maybe a shorter deal like a. Four and one hundred or something. He could be yeah. the grand doll one year pillow to get rid of the QO and yeah. try and enter a better market. That did actually work for Grand Doll, so where do you see the rest of the market going this offseason? You probably have about as good as handle on like the broader labor context stuff as anybody. Like, is this just because we we've talked about this a little before we came on air. There's been a very small number of free agents that signed, but all the guys that have signed have signed for contracts above expectation. Kyle Schwarber just signed for one year at $10 million, which is more than he got non-tendered out of. Like, where is this going on a macro level between now and whenever spring training starts? Yeah, that's the the thing I'm having trouble. And that's you know what I said when we were talking about this, is my inclination over the past few years has been to to be pessimistic that, you know, know that owners have most of the leverage and can wait these free agents out. Um, but at the same time, like the, the Schwarber contracts, it, there's, there was another one that was, that was surprising um, in terms of uh, how much it was. I mean, the McKinnon contract. Was it Drew? Yeah, it might've been Drew Smiley. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen a couple guys get like those, one year or two year um like high single digit millions of dollars for sort of like a solid big league veteran um which is sort of you know how how i would expect the uh the market to work anyway but you know i think that there are a couple teams that they're willing to run up against you know the 200 million dollar payroll marker and a lot of teams that are using this as an excuse to to cut overhead. And so I just don't know if there's going to be landing spots for everybody, but at the same time, if the market's not going to move, then like, why would the nationals commit that much to, 
to Schwarber when like Ozuna's out there and it's way better. And, you know, if, if his market crashes, they could get a way better player for, um, for not that much more money. So I don't know. I mean, it all hinges on, I don't know how many teams are actually committed to competing. And so when, a, when a small minority of teams are, are willing to invest resources, uh, in the big league roster, uh, that just completely screws up the calculus. Like there's, it means that there are more, more people out there uh, able to fill holes than there are holes to be filled. And so what that does for the market in, um, in broader terms, I think I'm not sure anybody really knows. And I think that's why it's been so slow and why nobody's really panicking. Cause it makes sense for, for uh, players and agents and front offices to sort of wait for, for the market to, to settle a little bit before they they make decisions because I, I think there is a there's so much uncertainty now that that it it's in everybody's best interest to to be patient yeah that's good because you know pitchers and catchers report in a month so theoretically we'll see yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know like again like th- there are so many uh so many moving parts for for spring training like in terms of of I was going to say like public health, but at least like pretending to care about public health. I mean, the Mets are already um, saying they're going to try to get 2,500 people a game into Clover Park in Port St. Lucie. So, yeah, sure. Um, and they might. I mean, yeah. like, if there's one thing that if there's one thing that that the past years proved in sports is that like people are willing to tolerate pretty much anything if you say the words social distancing and abundance of caution enough, and. So, you know, the incentive structure is to say, screw it and, and put people in a, in an unsafe situation. But I don't know. Like I, it makes too much sense, honestly, not to push the season back like six weeks. And you can still play an entire season if you do. Yeah. You know, maybe shave off a couple off days and, um, schedule double headers again. Yeah, and you wouldn't even have to to do that much. I think it's if you're comfortable playing playing the World Series in like second week of November, then you can um, then you can get you know, at least a hundred you know one hundred forty forty five hundred fifty games, probably the full one sixty two if you get creative. Um, you know, one thing that uh, this I wrote about uh, getting pitchers ready for the season with the, the truncated training camp last year and talked to um, it was something that uh, Wes Johnson, the, the twins pitching coach said that stuck with me that like he would rather just have sim games and, and scrimmages and stuff in terms of preparing for the season. Cause you can, can like you can do more work in less time. You can be more efficient if you have more control over the, the scenario. And so, you know, if the, if you're not going to have fans in spring training, then there's no reason to, to really have a, like a six week or, a, or which the players hate themselves training. anyway. Yeah. Like, I think everybody for now, if like, if, if you just sort of, if you're willing to just sort of write off the short term economic impact of, and you know, and that's a big thing, but it's also, you're not going to get full stands anyway without killing a bunch of people. Um, then it just makes sense to have like a four week spring training uh, and uh, start a little bit later, start the regular season a little bit later, maybe play a couple double headers and, and 
figure it out from there. But we'll see what's what's actually feasible in terms of like this is. I've come to in the past year just appreciate how big logistical uh, a logistical concern Major League Baseball is in terms of the bodies and the equipment and the the arrangements and the facilities. Like it's you know it's like waging a military campaign uh, over the the course of a full season. So you know it's maybe it's not maybe it's too difficult to move stuff around, but uh, it just makes sense to to push things back and you know the more vaccine distribution you get, maybe the, the more fans you can have in the, in the parks and, um, lessen a little bit of the, the economic impact in the second season of the pandemic. So I don't know. That's what I would do if I were dictator of the world, but we'll see what they can actually pull off. Be a better world. If you were the dictator, um, before we wrap up, I do just want to mention, I thought your article on the Lindor trade was excellent. You know, pretty much all of your stuff is excellent, but I thought the Lindor article, that was, you know, why we decided to have you on this week. I thought it was just a fantastic article. And if you haven't read that, I would suggest going over to the ringer and reading it because it has some interesting insights, both on the Mets and Cleveland. Yeah, I just feel, I mean, I feel bad for Cleveland fans at this point. It's just this is such a middle finger to to the team. And I think like Lindor is the big name and he's the headliner and he's the best player, but like what Carrasco means to, to that team and that fan base uh, is, and like, you know, trading him a month before he gets 10 and five is just such a middle finger to, to him and to the fans. And, you know, if I just, I would have a hard time. I think, I think we've done sports fans a disservice by like, by rewarding loyalty. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that like, you know, you ought to just front run to whatever team is, is good. But I, th- I think like the way that some of these teams through across all sports are, are treating their fans or treating that, that relationship. Like we don't know the fan or we don't know the teams we like as much as we thought maybe five or 10 years ago. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't begrudge, any Cleveland fan who who decides like this is the time to step back or walk away because uh, I, I would just have a hard time, um, you know, getting emotionally invested in something that that so obviously doesn't return, you know, doesn't reward that emotional investment. I, Kate and I were watching um, highlight clips of like Lindor on I think it was like Friday. Um, it's kind of like a palate cleanser of, you know, everything else that happened this week. And I remarked several times, why would Cleveland ever trade this guy? He's, you know, he's the perfect superstar. Yeah. In every single way. Imagine trading Mookie Betts. <laughs> right. Like, how honestly, I'm your fans. I could have a, I'd have a harder time imagining trading Lindor than, than sure. trading Mookie Betts. Because like he bets is, I think bets is the best Red Sox player since either Kari Ostremski or Ted Williams. Um, but Lindor, I don't know. I, I, while I was writing, I, I flashed back. He was actually one of the first, um, first MLB players that like I wrote a, a big profile on after I started the ringer. And this was, very early in the 2017 season. So like the, the Cavs had just won the title. The 
you know, or Lindor had just had that that big campaign leading up to the 2016 World Series. And like, first of all, I sat down and talked to him with like no advance warning. And he, you know, gave me twice as much time as, as I was expecting from from a star like just the like that that natural um you know some i don't begrudge athletes that don't have that uh that i guess aren't extroverts or aren't like you know aren't quotable or or interesting or you know willing to open up like that's not really part of the job but when when an athlete does do that like that allows him to to connect to fans more like you know raise his own profile become more of a you know, a bigger you know, have that connection with the with the city and the the organization. And he's like got that like that's not something you can teach. That's something that you've either that you either are that kind of person or you aren't. But our this didn't get in the the article. But like I asked him, um, like you just watched LeBron win a title and like what that did for for him. Like, and I said like this is an awesome team and you're the face of it and like. Is that what, like, you know, I asked him flat out, like, do you think that that's who you're going to be for this franchise? And, like, I don't know. I was thinking that five years ago. And it's it's just, I don't know, it's a pity that that uh, the Cleveland's ownership didn't didn't capitalize on that. And, like, you, you, don't, you don't draft or develop stars like this. You know, this is a, a once-in-a-generation player, but in terms of somebody that you could build a franchise, build an identity around, like you don't draft these people, you don't scout them, you don't develop them, they fall out of the sky. And it, it's just such a slap in the face to see them walk away from him for, for nothing. And so it's, you know, I, despite having zero, uh, you know, zero personal investment in the success or failure of, of the, you know, the Cleveland municipal uh, baseball team, um, it, it, it's upsetting to to watch this. And then you throw Carrasco on top, who's a good number two starter, who has twice taken less money to stay there, and is clearly being traded just because of his ten and five rights, and you know, also meant a lot to that community. It's just you know, yeah. You watch like the way that you know the the fans and the other players when you know when he was uh, when he went down with uh, leukemia in twenty twenty nineteen, yeah. like you know that's an easy thing to rally around but you know the enthusiasm that everybody had like the relief that everybody had when he came back and um and started playing again yeah it's just you know i i said that the cleveland like they traded the soul of that team with the, those two players and uh didn't yeah. get very much back either no. like they got back you know a couple of decent major league pieces and two good not great prospects yeah I, yeah they got like who out of the four players they got back is an above average big leader Jimenez, Jimenez probably is, Jimenez but not substantially so and not in a different way than like they already had a bunch of roll five roll 55 middle infielders they traded Mike Clevender for one of them mm-hmm. at the deadline last year this just I I don't I don't know why you would do this to your fans unless you just don't give a shit and that that itself is kind of sobering in a sobering week in general yeah so it's it's not even like it's not even what the Rays are doing where they're like it's an interesting cheap team yeah this is just gonna be 
a dirt cheap 81 win team. Well, maybe right. like maybe 86 win team because Shane Beavers yeah. at the top of the rotation instead of another bog standard, you know, roll five guy making the minimum at the top of that rotation. Um, they keep thinking that they can sell and still have a chance to be the best team in the division. And it's already backfired a couple times and they're still doing it, which indicates that it's financial. At that you point. can do that. You could do that, but you have to win every single trade. Yes. And so like they were on a run where they had done that. And I think, you know, Tampa was on a run where, where they had done that. Like you can develop these guys, sign them to the Carrasco contract or the Snell contract and then cash them in and move on. And so like, you can keep that, that wheel turning but if you miss a draft pick or if you miss on like the the margin of error for that is so thin that it's really tough to do that and make that a long-term sustainable um you know long-term sustainable thing and also like they have just been not winning those trades like look at how much talent i've listed this in the um in the article like in the past couple years that what they've traded um Lindor, Carrasco, Kluber, Clevenger, Bauer, Edwin Encarnacion, and they've, you know, got at best a couple average to maybe one or two above average big leaders back. But they're all cheap and they're all cost controlled. Yeah, all their all their good players right now are either drafted or internally developed. Yeah, and you know, maybe they you know, if they developed Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber once they can do it again you know maybe Cal Quantrill turns into you know turns into a monster um uh you know Logan Allen turns into something more than Rich like one. A, a, oh god I even <laughs> forgot about that <laughs> you know you get enough Logan Allens maybe one of them will turn into a number two or three starter but so Logan Allens or Logan's Logan's Allen? yeah Logan's Allen that seems like a good note to wrap up on. Yeah, sorry. I like I I talked a lot, but it's I'm I'm. It turns out I'm genuinely upset about this. Yeah. So. Well, Mets fans are pretty happy though. To bring it back to your original point, I don't think either of us can recommend actually being Mets fans. I'd I'd recommend it now. <laughs> like it seems like it seems pretty good. Like I said this too. Like Lindor. Like there's a a pretty good chance that. Uh, Six months from now, Lindor's the the most popular Mets since David Wright, and he might already be the most. Might already. <laughs> I mean, it's actually Pete Alonso, yeah. but yeah. I don't know, uh, like David Wright's one of like this is that kind of of like city defining superstar. Like David Wright was that kind of player, and that's what Lindor is. And they just fall out of the sky, and I have no idea how they pulled this off. I have no idea how nobody offered some didn't offer something better. Um, but here we are. Well, Toronto, if you listen to the media, thinks they did. So. Toronto really wants to know you. We that they tried. You <sighs> know, that's we saw. I mean, the Mets were sort of like this for a while. You know, oh, I, they sure I, were. I, yeah, we recognize the um, signs, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I I singled out the Twins when we were talking about this earlier, but like. You know, sometimes finishing second on every trade and every free agent or or sorry, leaking that you finish second on every trade or every free agent. Like sometimes you can build that build the build that into actually acquiring good players. But so we'll this see. actually ended up being for a section I cut from the annual essay. So I didn't even use this. 
But at one point I was going through and compiling all the We Trieds in second places, and they weren't even on interesting players other than Kano and Zobris. They were on, like, Michael Bourne and guys like that. It was just, like, it was pathetic We Trieds. Yeah. There was... Yeah. I first started noticing this um, when the Twins were... Uh, Aaron Gleeman kept pointing this out. Like, and he, I think he actually did compile a list at some point of like all the players the, the Twins were second on from like 2010 to 2015 or something. Um, but yeah, once you, what, it's one of those things that once you see it, like it, the, the uh, Botter-Meinhof effect, like you see it all the time. Yeah, like they were like coming in like, the Mets were doing We Trides on, like, second division closers and guys like that. It's like, come on, guys. Come on. <sighs> on that note. Those days are over now. Okay. I'll, Those I'll days go are over. Now. This segment is over. Michael Bauman from The Ringer, co-host of The Baseball Show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, boys. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there, episode 261. For all you kids out there, the Mets Adjacent Baseball Perspectives podcast. You can find us on the internet at baseballperspectives.com. Podcast is on iTunes and various other non-iOS apps. Just search for For All You Kids Out There and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at For All You Kids. Jarrett's on Twitter at J.A. Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash For All You Kids out there. You can email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectives.com. We do have a fair bit of correspondence from multiple channels this week, but we do have to resolve two bits of business first. One, uh, as I'm sure listeners are aware in the past, we've always done a hot stove meetup in New York City right around the winter meetings where we meet uh, in Midtown, usually at the Ginger Man, have some beers and talk about baseball. We did not do that this year, Jarrett. We did not. Um, so we are going to do a virtual. I, I suppose there was actually yeah. nothing stopping us because I mean, the dining is open in some parts of the Tri-State area. But um, I think at the time of the winter meetings, you could still go into a bar in New York City, yes. Yeah, just would have been a superbly bad idea. <laughs> so instead, we are going to do a virtual hot stove meetup. And I mean, there wouldn't have been much to talk about around the winter meetings anyway, because something had happened. Yes. Uh, January 31st will be our virtual hot stove meetup, probably around 2 in the afternoon. Uh, we'll post a link in the Facebook and the Discord. If you want to get an invite, just let us know. And we will invite you in. We'll have some beers. We'll talk Mets baseball and all the other usual bullshit we do. And this time, if I drink too much, I can literally just turn around and fall on the office bed. So yes. I got that going for me. Yes. Also a lot cheaper than paying 
$9 for an 11%. percent i probably get more than that for an 11% stout in Midtown. Yes. Uh, the second bit of business, uh, we had to take a break between the second and third halves of the show. And that coincided with the Bears-Saints-Nickelodeon game. Which was a great idea that I did not know they were doing, and I also no longer have cable, so I couldn't check it out, although I feel like I got the all the good parts ended up on Twitter, as usually happens with these things. Yeah. Uh, David Love pointed out that we severely disagree over our top five Nickelodeon shows of all time. We did, although I actually am pulling back my... Uh, I actually am going to put Nick News at five. That's fine. So I think it's just... Uh, we were looking for, and I enjoyed Guts and Legend of the Hidden Temple and watched both as a kid, but I never enjoyed the game shows as much as some of the other programming. I mean, I have Double yeah, Dare I mean, on I'm, there. I'm, I'm a game show guy. I'm a right. big Jeopardy guy. Did you, like, figure it out with Summer Sanders? That was my number five previously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, my uh, top five originally was, uh, let's see, like, Definitely did put it on here. No, I can't. Oh, there it is. Guts, Legends of the Hidden Temple, Nick Arcade, Double Dare. I put Figure It Out 5 uh-huh. first. Um, I'm probably going to pull that back to Nick News, thinking yeah. about it, because I forgot Nick Watched News. Watched a lot of Linda, L- Linda LRB as a kid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's mostly the top three, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm very much a Rocco's Modern Life guy. Yeah, I mean, I have Brooklyn's done retro Nick nights. Yeah, a couple of years, and I have the Agro Crag, and I have the, <laughs> I have the Legends of the Hidden Temple Monkey. And... I'm excited to see what they do with a full season affiliate in terms of, yeah, uh, giveaways. Yeah, I'll look so, at we didn't talk about that in the first half of the show. I don't think we've. It was announced last week but they are delaying the start of double a advanced day in low a not announced uh, but it was reported by baseball america i mean i assume they would know yeah i mean jj's been on top of this entire yeah. time i mean it makes sense like you don't if you ever seen the i mean jared obviously you've been up close and personal with minor league spring training but when you see the shots on the backfields yeah. during Mets Major League Spring Training games, it's just like 200 dudes herded into the backfields, which is not something you probably want to be doing in the next couple yeah. months in Florida. So I, it sounds like, you know, Major League Spring Training and AAA are going to take place relatively simultaneously, and then mm-hmm. AA and this full season single A levels, and then probably extended after they leave. Right. And I would assume that they'll probably start games maybe early may or something like that yeah uh, we we don't know as we talked about with michael in the last yeah. segment uh we're not even sure that the major league season's going to start on time as we talked about on a recent episode that seems to make the most sense for everybody to just delay a little bit yeah it also seems like they might not because right i mean i think the conflict's going to be the players are still going to want to play 162. The owners aren't, and I don't know what the how the TV networks are going to feel about the playoffs running into end of November or something like that. Yeah, I uh, 
you know, there was reporting, which I also heard, um, that the networks did not want to push back past November, um, partially because of their schedules, partially because they wanted the World Series in the prime advertising for the presidential election. I will say I did not not get many uh, political ads, but I'm also in a state that really had no competitive races, so... Right. 2021, you know, there's some state legislative races. There's the Virginia gubernatorial. There's the New Jersey gubernatorial. But there's nothing, you know, there's not... There, there I, are not I need hundreds of billions of dollars worth of ad buys. Yes, it's not that significant. So that might not be a problem for 2021. Now, there's also the TV schedules are all fucked up already. So. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, as you've seen a lot of sort of, of your fall shows, quote unquote, have been having their season premiere recently. Tangent here. So disappointed in Mr. Mayor. (laughs) Watch the first two episodes. It is fucking horrible. I don't know how with that cast and that production group behind it, it could be as bad as it is, but... Not only is it like the tone of it's just way off. It was it's supposed to be a Thirty Rock spinoff of Jack Donahue's mm-hmm. Mayor, and it's not because they ended up with Ted Danson in L.A. instead of Jack Donahue in New York City. Right. But it's like a combination Trump and Bloomberg parody, and I <sighs> like nobody on the planet wants to see that right now. Yeah, and it's just it's not funny. That would be a problem if you're uh, writing a comedy. You know, Lord Lord knows there have been comedies, sitcoms that have gotten off to awful starts and ended up being great. The first season of Parks and Rec up until yeah. the last episode is dreadfully bad. Yeah, like with shows like this too, sometimes you don't always nail the tone right away. The first season of The Office, The American Office, is bad, too, although not quite as bad. It took, you know, like five or six episodes to really kind of get its bearing. But this was just... I was excited for this show, you know? See, like, you know, Tina Fey behind, like, a Ted Danson and Holly Hunter political sitcom? Like, yeah, that seems like it's going to be right. This was awful. Anyway... Anyway, let's go to the correspondence. We have an email from Jared, not Jarrett. Q for the P. I'm not sure if you guys talked about this already, but what do you make of DeGrom's substantial fastball velocity increase from 2019 to 2020? Went from 96.9 to 98.6. Is a product of just a shortened season and him pitching less innings, or has he unlocked something new? What type of performance can we reasonably expect next year? Um, uh, Ace-level performance, Jared. (laughs) Yeah, we've been talking about this for years. Right. Um, I mean, I think we talked about it or alluded to it uh, when talking about some of the Bauer stuff where DeGrom just doesn't really talk about his process. So we don't know what he's, if he's doing anything specific in the off season, you know, who he's talking to from like a pitching guru side, whether it's, a, you know, for all we know, he's still talking to his pitching coach from Stetson or something. 
I'm yes. not saying he is or isn't. I just like we just don't know because he doesn't give that kind of access or he doesn't actually like talking to the media, and that's something that various beats have alluded to. Yes, he's actually the, the, the contra to uh, Bauman's point about Lindor is Jacob right. Degrom, and that's fine. Right. I mean, he that's he just... does he does what he has to do. He, he'll he'll stand there and talk to them if he's you know hurt or if he pitches bad or just for the normal pre-start whatever he does his media availabilities and he's you know he didn't he gives pretty bland answers and whatever everybody fills out their columns and does their job but once he leaves he's not really answering their texts they're giving them the 2000 soft focus off-season features like so some of these guys do fastball velocity over the last five seasons yeah uh, by pitch info average uh, 94.2 96 flat, 96.7, 97.2, 99 flat. Yeah. So it's been so, going up the entire time. That's five miles an hour total. And he was already up when he came up to the majors over where he was as a prospect. I saw that dude in A ball and he was like 89 to 91. It's like 91 to 95 for me in double A. Yeah. I saw him in double A and he was, you know, you know, I'd have to get out my notes, but it was in that same general band. So, he's made some mechanical tweaks. Uh, he's physically stronger than he was then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's still, like, it's a slim frame, but he has gotten stronger. I would say, uh, we still don't know for the 19-20 to 20 blip, like, they've changed their radar system. Yeah. So, it did seem like it was running hot early in the year, but I was told by teams, like, that they've adjusted for that, and yeah, it's actually fine, so... I mean, it could be a small I, uh, sample size thing. He wasn't throwing as deep into games. Um, yeah, I don't... I had a conversation with a Major League Team R&D director in 2017, probably, mm-hmm. about DeGrom. And the specific conversation was a theory that both of us had and obviously the person I was talking to is in a much better <laughs> position to be able to confirm that theory, that, that pitchers who continually added velocity, had, had positive velocity trends slow over the course of their careers tended to improve rather substantially beyond what you could have reasonably projected for them. Mm-hmm. The conversation was specifically about DeGrom. Big velocity jumps are sometimes red flags for injuries. Right. Which and Mike Pelfrey, the, Tommy John, he was suddenly pumping like 97 in the start which before. Which is both a chicken and an egg thing. Right. Uh, the velocity jump can cause the injury or it can be a symptom of the injury starting to crop up. Mm-hmm. It can be both. Whereas a more gradual, continual raise, you know, DeGrom is up eight miles an hour over where he was as a as a prospect but it's over the course of seven or eight years it's not over the course of one spring where he started blasting out right i mean he hasn't really made i mean i have to go back and look at video but i'm guessing he hasn't made like significant mechanical changes because there are things you can do there are places you can go if you want to max out your velocity yeah you know and he hasn't really done that like there's a like it's like the stomp and lift version of pitching basically you know um, let me... Kinetic chain stuff. 
2017 Braves top 10 baseball prospectus. This is so you pull up Kyle Muller. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to go pull up. I'm pulling up Kyle Muller's post-draft report. Yeah. I talked to a scout that saw both Muller and... Uh, had both Muller and Wentz in his... We apparently did not draft. rank Kyle Muller that year. Why? Who the hell knows? I don't remember. Yeah. Um, we should have. Probably, but he was probably throwing, like, what? 89 I mean, to 93? They gave him, like, $3 million before that season. Anyway, um, let, let's not relitigate prospect lists from people that aren't working for us anymore, because Lord knows that's never going to end well. Wait, was one of us actually responsible for I mean, those? if it was 2017, it, it was in me. In fact, was you, yes. <laughs> Good job, Bass Jeffrey. Um, right, Kyle Muller. All right, anyway. Do you want me to go back into my emails for the 2017 Braves? Uh, uh, you also, in 2018, uh, did not give a velocity here. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to go to Baseball America because oh, they're going to give me a velocity. <laughs> We're doing well. <laughs> that, that's what I need right now is the Kyle Baller velocity. Um you apparently need to log in i'm apparently not logged in on this computer this is just a complete fucking disaster at this point it's good this is good content my password you've, not... you've already forgotten that i worked for baseball perspectives in 2017 as did you by the way um <laughs> responsible for that like you you're you were actually the title person yes i'm aware assumed it wasn't actually gonna be you yeah. um Oh, Kyle Muller. All right. So, low 90s, touching 95 on a few occasions in 2016. Kyle Muller is now sitting upper 90s and touching 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also a substantially been, better price. That's been less uh, gradual. Yes. He went to drive line and he's throwing harder now. I can tell you why that happened. Yeah. He, he became a drive line devotee that works out using their driveline velocity maximization project, you know, products. And he picked up five miles an hour doing that. That's a thing that most pitchers can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Muller did not pitch for the Braves this year. because He can't throw enough strikes while doing it. At least not yet. Not yet. Yeah. He's, and he's, we still ranked him pretty high on the one one So he's only 23. It was his age 22 season. He, pitched last year in double a so it's not like he's you know he has a chance it basically it increased his polls yeah um, sure. he was projecting as like a number like a random number four starter which a number three or a, a mid-rotation starter as a pre- prospect still has a lot of downside there's now a real chance with his stuff that he's the top of the rotation starter mm-hmm. he has that potential uh, is he going to get there? Hmm. Um, yeah. His draft report says that at the time of the draft, he was saying 90 or 92, which is yeah. what I thought. But yeah, he went from sit 90 to 92 to sit like 96 to 99. You could have just pulled up Kate Morrison's ESPN report, but yeah. I could have done that, yes. <laughs> I mean, same difference, right? You uh, have a Braves 2017 XLS. He is on it. Um, 
I don't, know, I don't know if this is actually in order. There are a lot of fun names on here. I don't think this is actually in order. I think this is just like alphabetical, and I threw names in to say traded guys looking at it. Anyway, um, to answer your question, Jared, I don't know what to make of it per se. Um, so the other thing that I meant to mention before Jared took us down a tangent of old prospect lists is that DeGrom specifically, because he was a late pitching convert and then had Tommy John surgery. I mean, really, realistically, fairly shortly after he became a full-time pitcher. It's difficult to sort of gauge what the starting point was for him as a pitching prospect. Because even those games you were seeing in the South Atlantic League, he was still, like, not rehabbing from Tommy John, but, like, 18 months off it. Also, like, Jacob DeGrom's such an extreme outlier in mm-hmm. all forms of pitching development that his pitching development is not actually that interesting to talk about. I right. know you literally got hired to baseball perspective I by did. doing it. Yes. But, uh, like, it's it's not actually that interesting right it's not and i've it's i've used this as an example in pieces at bp i did it in the effectively wild episode that you alluded to that got me hired it's that like if you wrote jacob degram as an ace i wouldn't have hired you i know i said it before on the show it's just but you know we've talked about percentile outcomes too like yes there's like of the like a 99.9th percentile outcome. Right? I mean, let's just say 99th for this for the sake of argument, and it'll play better with the example I want to use. We just ranked 101 prospects. Yeah. By definition, one of them should hit their 99th percentile outcome. Sure. Now, realistically, that doesn't exactly work that way. Like, actually, most of them will probably hit somewhere between their 30th and 70th percentile outcome in any individual outcome. But, you know, and you don't know who it's going to be. It could be like, you know, if Adley Rushman hits his 99th percentile outcome, he's Johnny Bench. Which is it's possible. <laughs> he's got all the tools. Sure. Um, if Francisco Alvarez hits his 99th percentile outcome, he's not Johnny Bench. No. He's... What is he? JT Real Muto? Maybe even a little better than that, but yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, he's not. I was Again, gonna... Mike Trout hit his 99th percentile outcome. Uh-huh. Mike Trout is the greatest player in baseball history. He is going to go down as the greatest baseball Unless he suffers a early and unexpected decline, he is going to end up being, by the time he retires, the greatest player in baseball history by such a margin that <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to be overcome in our lifetime. Right. Uh, that that's what happened. I wrote an article about this. Yeah. Uh, whereas when Dallas Keuchel hits his 99th percentile outcome, he like wins a Cy Young award and makes a few All Star games because yep. Dallas Keuchel is like a Rule 45 prospect. Yeah. So it's very, you know, it's it's based on where the prospect right. You know, if Wander Franco hits his 99th percentile outcome, he's going to have 4,000 hits and he's going to circle <laughs> Hall of Famer, right. right? Whereas if he'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't even know, like Joe Morgan, maybe. Yeah, 
Dark Cheater, but better. Yeah. yeah that's going to piss some people off if they hear it. Uh, whereas if Gabriel Arias hits his 99th percentile outcome, what's Gabriel Arias? Yeah. Uh, Carlos Correa? Better than that. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, you're really, you're really good. Yeah, really good defender. Like Edgar Renteria, maybe? They're probably still under. Still under? Like, Edgar Renteria had a great career. Jimmy Rollins, maybe? Yeah, sure. Fine. Like a, you know, a, a fringe Hall of Fame. Yeah, right? Hall of Very Good. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Like, Gabriel Arias probably not making the Hall of Fame. Like, Andres Jimenez, if he hits his 99th percentile outcome, is, I don't know, like, Ozzy Smith, maybe? Well, I don't know that, but. Right, but it's not it's like damn thing. It's like tough to find a. Like I say, like Mark Bellinger, but yeah, he's a better hitter than Mike Bellinger. Like adjusting for era and shit. You know, if here's a good one. If Sixto Sanchez hits his 99th percentile outcome, I mean, <laughs> that's an easy one, right? So here's a. I, I know Allen's we I know we love talking about Sixto Sanchez. Is Pedro even his 99th percentile outcome? I mean Pedro's. I know Pedro's Pedro's 99th percentile outcome. So fair enough. Yeah. I mean it's not. I don't know how you get higher than that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean you Pedro, can make a case. You can make a case that Pedro Martinez was the best pitcher in baseball history. Yeah, Pedro Martinez won three Cy Young awards in four years. Probably deserved the fourth and finished <laughs> second. Yeah. Like, know about that. Like, <sighs> I'm pulling up shortstop jaws so I can try to find a good Andres Jimenez uh, 99th percentile outcome. Yeah, it's tough because it's like a glove first modern yeah. shortstop that like had no power. Like, Ozzy Smith is the easy one, right? right. Is it a. Uh, uh, I mean, he had a little too much power. But is it Barry Larkin? Yeah, maybe. Larkin was 295, 371, 444. It's a little too much power. And this works at, like, the middle of the list, too. Or at yeah. least, you know. Is it, is, it actually, is it actually Alan Trammell? Yeah, maybe. It might be Alan Trammell. I know he had, like, the DH hangaround time, but... Yeah. Like, Drew Waters' 99th percentile outcome is not, uh... It's like Garrett Anderson? Yeah, I was kind of a little higher than that, but... The point is, it's not Barry Bonds, right? right? right yeah. It's like... I don't know. And I think pitchers, and, like... I don't know if Jacob deGrom gets to that, like, Hall of Fame level, but... He's probably at least getting to, like, the I've... Tim Lincecum, Johan Santana level, and that was pretty close to the 99th percentile outcome for those dudes. Right. I don't know what... I don't know what Hall of Fame voting is going to look like right. at the time Jacob deGrom retires, but if he has a normal decline phase, he's going to... He should be in the Hall of Fame. He needs that third Cy Young, probably. Does he really, though? I mean... I do think it, man, his, yeah, his, 
his last three seasons. Just like looking at it on paper is just fucking ludicrous. Right. Like how many? Like you're talking about if he doesn't go in, that essentially two pitchers, three pitchers of this era are going because at that point, the pitchers ahead of him for this era are like Kershaw, Verlander, and Scherzer, all of whom I. And all of them are like it. I mean, Kershaw is about the same age. Verlander and Scherzer are three or four years older, so you could argue. I know uh, Degrom started later because of the. You know, maybe Zach Ranky. Yeah, you're not. I know Madison Baumgartner has like the postseason legend, but he also doesn't look like he's aging particularly. He's going to have like a bad enough decline period and a long enough bad decline period that I think that is going to. Right, and then you're talking like you know, Jacob Degrom is making the Hall of Fame before Steven Strasburg does, or David Price does, mm-hmm. or so. I don't know. Like you're talking about only having three Hall of Fame pitchers, maybe four. You know, Granky might make it. He's going to end up being kind of a weird candidate. I mean, so yeah, by baseball references, war he already has almost forty wins above replacement. Yeah. So if you're assuming a relatively normal decline phase, which he should includes, get to, he should get to sixty, and it would be a very high peak. Yeah, which should get him in. I would think. I mean, he still has only he's pitched seven full seasons in the uh, in the majors now, so he's at the point where he can start like bumping his bumping both ends of the jaws number at the same time. I mean, realistically, let's just say he has a... Yeah, i got to have to go back and look to see what his lowest season is. I'm guessing it actually might be this year, or 2020. Uh, well, it, it doesn't matter. He's, uh, it actually is his 2020, yes. So, if he has a... I can do math. A seven-win season this year, he would get to 44 jaws, which would put him in with... So that gets him up into basically where Felix Hernandez is. Yeah. Gets him, you know, it's like Felix Hernandez, Frank Biola. He's ahead of a couple Hall of Famers in Wait Hoyt and Bob Lemon, who obviously pitched in very different eras. Although, you know, Bob Lemon was a post-World War II guy, so. Um, he's basically not that far off Dizzy Dean at that point. And that's not a bad comp, actually. I mean, I'm going to sort quickly here. Um, So, obviously, DeGrom has not gone through his decline phase yet. But by ERA+, do you know where he ranks right now? All times. I see top 10. He is top 10. Is it literally one? It is not literally one. Clayton Kershaw is still one. It's Clayton Kershaw, Pedro Martinez, Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. The three best pitchers by ERA plus in baseball history. Yeah. Mm. Clayton Kershaw, if he retired tomorrow, would make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, if he had retired like last year, he would have made the Hall of Fame. He's already had 13 years. Basically, he's one of those guys that as soon as it ticked over for 10 years, he was a Hall of Famer. Yeah. We should move we on to the next question because we're a half hour into the third half of the show. We haven't. Uh, we also had a really, we're not really going to. sensational 2020, which like went under the radar because it, 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 it did. Ten but... starts, but 
you know, he was basically back to his peak performance. Last he was. Year. I think he's going to be a guy where he can kind of like be really good for so, 140 innings until he's 40, but he can't throw 200 anymore. He's still this good, but he's a completely different pitcher mm-hmm. than he was in the early 2010s, like in terms of stuff and pitch design and distribution. Right. He can probably be like Rich Hill for as long as he wants to be. Yeah. So, you know, the fastball 62 to eight strikeout to walk ratio. <laughs> the fastball velocity's tanked. He started spamming sliders. He throws the curveball a lot less because yeah. it, it tunnels best with his fastball. It's, He's really remade himself rather mm-hmm. substantially over the course of his career. And he's not clearly the best pitcher on the planet anymore, which he was for about a five-year stretch there. But he's still top ten. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's a guy who, when he started his reign as the best pitcher, you know, the slider was a, I would say, probably reasonably distant third pitch for him. And yep. it's... You know, he that's that's his basically his primary pitch now. He throws it over forty percent of the time. And he throws it nearly as hard as he throws his fastball. He throws like a ninety one mile an hour fastball and like an eighty nine mile an hour slider. It's yeah. really wild. Let's head to the Facebook group. Too long didn't read Jacob deGrom, gonna be good. Yeah. He will probably have an arm scare at some point, like he does every year. Looking forward yes. to that podcast. Yes. Q for the P from Josh. I know in the past you guys have talked about how poorly the Mets have done at managing the back end of the bullpen with optionable players. Seems to have been emphasis on signing potentially decent relief pitching with options this offseason. It's a little bit early. What do you think about the work done on the back end up and down guys so far? You can talk about Stephen Tarpley. You've seen a lot of Stephen Tarpley. I said a lot of Stephen Tarpley. Stephen Tarpley has a plus bordering on plus plus slider. The problem yeah. is fastball is not that great, and the command's like a three. Yeah, but it's you know if if you think you can get him to throw enough strikes, he is a dominant late game left handed reliever. It's worth a shot, right? Yeah. So it's, it's difficult the to price. what the hell's the difference? Right. It's difficult to. figure out exactly what they're going to do with the bullpen this year. I mean, it's really not because almost none of these guys have options. Right. No, but I mean, it's, it's like how much money are they actually willing to eat? Yeah. And like, who do they think they can actually coach up or whatever? Like, I mean, Stephen Tarpley is fine as a second lefty. Yes. They don't have a first lefty at the moment, but... I don't know exactly how this is going to play out. Um, I don't know what the bullpen's going to look like. You know, some of this depends on if Lugo and Gazelman are in the mix for a starting rotation spot. Some of this depends if Mats is in the mix for a starting rotation spot, because Mats could be your first lefty, theoretically. You know, yeah, you have options just, here. They have I an don't... awful lot of pitchers that they can't send down. Mm-hmm. Batances is ineligible to be sent down on service time. Familia is ineligible to be sent down on service time. Brock is ineligible to be sent down on service time. Castro has no options. Barnes has no options. Yeah. So, yeah. Unless you're planning on carrying 
15 pitchers, which you could only do if the cap on pitchers is lifted again. Right. The Your you know, bullpen the notable... is more you're willing to release guys. Your bullpen's pretty much locked in. Right. I mean, it's, it's we have on roster resource, resource page, you know, Edwin Diaz, Trevor May, Miguel Castro, Dylan Batances, Jerry Smilia, Brad Brock, Jacob Barnes, Seth Lugo. Yeah. Now you can... It's hard to put Barnes through waivers. He can't reject the assignment. Yep. Uh, would he clear waivers? He might. I mean, there's an argument to... like I don't know what he's going to look like. Coming off a broken fucking rib or whatever. But you could... Robert Gazelman has options. You can try to stretch him out as a AAA starter is starting pitching depth. Uh... Franklin Colome and Corey Oswalt don't have options. Colome and... probably does. Oh right, he has Colome's the four. He has the fourth option. Fourth That's option. right. So you got it, but Corey Oswalt doesn't, and he is still at this point starting pitching depth. I mean, Corey Oswalt should also sail through waivers. Sure. Although sometimes starting pitchers get claimed just because of needs. But Do you see Justin Dillon. I'm just looking at the roster research. Do you see Justin Dillon in the minors for Toronto? I mean, the answer is probably, but the answer is probably, and I don't like. You're, I'm sure I have him. In we're we're on to the AAA somewhere. roster resource section of the Mets page. Now. I'm sure I have him. <laughs> and I, mean, I can look at his game log and yeah. figure out if I was sure. I'm I mean, sure I've seen him too. I mean, this is something I can check. And he I'm, didn't I'm, actually throw that much. I threw a little bit in New Hampshire in 2019. I. I don't think I saw... I didn't actually go up to New Hampshire in 2019. I don't think. Um, I don't even remember at this point. It feels like it was five years ago, but I don't think I went up there because that team was really bad. And I, I, Yeah, I didn't because I was trying to like line it up to see Nate Pearson, and then he was in Hartford when I was, I think, down with you watching. I'm checking the three uh, games yeah. he pitched and... Uh... I don't have him in Evernote, so I'm guessing I did not see him. Uh, I've got my 2019 notebook handy here, so... Oh, man, it's been like a two-and-a-half-hour show somehow. I did not plan this. We have nothing to talk about. Yeah, you were very concerned that we weren't going to have stuff to talk about. Hmm. Uh, June 27th and June 30th, that I go to that series. I didn't, uh, tar- I didn't realize Tarpley's on the 40-man. I guess he was a waiver claim, so he has to be on the 40-man. Uh, I was at Dom- I was at a Lakewood Delmarva series the weekend they pitched in Trenton in 2019. No, probably the right choice. I may have seen him in 2018. I don't have that. I don't think I have that book handy. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> again, to answer your question, Josh, they're taking the right kind of punts on the right kind of relievers. I don't know how it's all going to sort out, basically. Yeah, yeah, Sam McWilliams isn't a bad yep. call. We talked about him a little in the first half and a lot when they signed him, but it wouldn't be shocking if he was a decent major league reliever this year. Question from Ben. Are there depth issues at present compared to this time last year? They've lost uh, Ramos, Cano, Rosario, Jimenez, Marisnik, and Cespedes, along with Frazier from midseason, and they've added Lindor and McCann. 
Obviously, things are looking great, but there's a DH. But if there's a DH, the ninth player would either be Guillaume with a Davis Nimmo Conforto outfield, or Malik Smith, or Guillermo Heredia playing center. Starting rotation has lost two and a half bodies and gained one. Obviously, he's a significantly better player than Joaquin Porcello. When it comes down to depth, that's still one man down. Meanwhile, the bullpen has lost last season's third, fourth, and fifth most used arms: uh, Justin Wilson, Jared Hughes, and Jason Shreve. Can't imagine why that bullpen wasn't very good last year and gain just may i suppose it's also not really a system with many major league ready players waiting in the high minors either uh it isn't benjamin if you listen to the first half of the show with the weaknesses at the edge of the roster would that effectively preclude preclude them from signing springer or can you find still find a marlin bird type minor league free agent as successful bench piece and whoever this the bullpen equivalent was latroy hawkins maybe in Sandy's previous regime, the combination of lack of depth and questionable medical handling of players meant that guys like Eric Campbell got way, way too many plate appearances. My inner Mets fan still fears we're a few injuries away from running out players like Robel Garcia. Robel Garcia is like a better class of minor league free agent than they were usually running out in that spot, but like he's better than like Johnny Manel, Omar Quintanilla. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually fairly good. Mm. As that as like a random waiver claim goes, it's like a I soft think. four probably. Yeah, some upside. Is sure. Waiver claim goes. Um, so, I think the difference is it was much harder to find those type of players. So there, a it was much harder to find. There were fewer of those players available in 2017 than they're going to be in 2021. I know it wasn't a non-tender bloodbath, but there are still a lot of like good youngish players you can sign as bench pieces. Yes. Um, as I talked about last show, the Mets now become a more attractive landing spot for those guys too, if they're not simply looking for full-time playing time. Yes. Because you can ring chase. The Mets might be pretty good this year. Um, and there's clearly, again, you only have to like beat out Malik Smith and Robel Garcia for a major league job. So I'm not concerned about it at this point, particularly. You know, we talked a little bit about whether they should target Springer or something else or some combination of players that might give them a little more depth. I mean, we'll go back to the old roster resource page. Their current bench is projected as Tomas Nito, Luis Guillorme, Jose Peraza, Guillermo Heredia, and Malik Smith. I mean, you already said on the midweek show that they should probably find a better backup catcher than Tomas Nito. They may or may not do that. Um, I think Yorme is perfectly suited to be a fifth infielder at this point. Yes. Um, the other three spots, like I said, they're going to upgrade there. It's not. I'm not super concerned about that, really. Um, the bench depth should not be an issue this year if they're. Not even if they're willing to wait. Like, there's just going to be guys that want a major league job, and the Mets are a fairly attractive one. That's something you can finish off in February. You don't really need to worry about it now. Yes. You're going to get guys on split deals, you're going to get guys on the veteran minimum. I mean, if you assume Nito and Guillaume are pretty much locked in at this point, you need a fourth and fifth outfielder. You know, you might want one of them to have some 
infield utility as well, even if it's just like four corners. And then a kind of like more specialized bench piece, which can be a variety of things. We should probably mention this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tim Brown of Yahoo uh, is reporting that DJ LeMayhew has asked his representatives to re-engage with other teams other than the Yankees because apparently his negotiations have fallen apart and the Mets are one of the teams mentioned by Brown. I mean, if you put DJ LeMayhew at third base and move J.D. Davis to the bench, it's a pretty good bench. Yeah. Or trade J.D. Davis for or, yeah. something. Or put LeMahieu at second and use McNeil you know, as like some kind of super or, utility yeah. guy. Or, it does. There's well, a lot I, of permutations yeah. here. Man, what Flexibility. has happened to the New York Yankees? I, they're no longer owned by the guy who wanted to win at all costs and are instead owned by his businessman son. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened. There. What do you think about the idea of the Mets signing LeMahieu? I don't think we've ever actually talked about that in any line. I mean, he wants a lot of money right. for his Asian profile. Yeah. And however, like, he has however, one of the best yeah. in baseball for right. a while. So, <laughs> it's almost like it's not my money. Yeah. I I guess it it puts you into a binary situation. Like, do you want to do LeMahieu or do you want to do Springer? Because you probably realistically can't do both. Springer is the answer, right? I think so. Um, Should be. He's a little bit younger. I think the skill set will age better. I don't know exactly what LeMahieu's ask is versus Springer's ask. Probably not as many years, but I think probably similar prize. Similar AAB, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a strong feeling there. Yeah. Um, and both of them allow. I mean, either either or allows them to do various permutations and how they want to construct a roster, line up day to day, lefty righty, yada yada yada. So, oh, not super worried about the bench depth, especially if they get to use the Mayhew or George Springer for that matter. Yeah. We will move to the Twitter. And uh, funnily enough, I said, I think last week that don't send tweets to for all you kids account. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to see them. But then I flagged Zach's tweet to us at midweek and then didn't answer it on the last show, but I can answer it on this one. So whatever. Uh, from Zach, Q for the P, great trade. Now I will say Jimenez to me was a perfect bench player for a contending team. Versatile and smart. Any ideas on insurance policy type guys to take his place? I worry a bit about McNeil's injury history and the minors especially. Thanks. Banner eyed Brandon Drury. They did. I forgot they signed Brandon Drury. I mean, the answer is actually Luis Guillaume. Like, Guillaume yeah. is the fifth infielder right now, and that's probably fine. Yes. Like, I don't think he... What did he... <laughs> What was the ridiculous Luis Guillerme slash line? I mean, obviously, we've spent plenty of time on this podcast since 2016. 333, 426, 439. He ran a 463 Babbitt. He has a career 259, 343, 341, which is probably about what, right. I, He can do that, and that's yeah. like 
5 10% worse than league average. He's a very good defender at all three infield spots. Yes. Nice he lefty can, bat off the bench if you yep. want an early innings pinch hitter type. Yep. He is absolutely the perfect. This is this is a definitional roll 45. Yes. This is what you now in in a perfect world you want enough depth so he's like your 12th player and not your ninth or 10th player. Right. But, you know, not everybody is actually the Dodgers. <laughs> you, you, it's hard to get Kike Hernandez and Chris Taylor into those kinds of roles because on most teams, they're good enough to start. And in fact, free agents don't want to come to you to be in that spot. Kike right. The Hernandez Mets are not going was... to be able to sign Kike Hernandez, even though he would be a perfect fit for this team. Right, because Kike Hernandez wants a starting job. Somebody he will pay him $11 million a year to be their second baseman. Yes, he has been open about that. He does not want to go into another backup type situation. Hey, and he won his ring, and he was a very useful player for a very good team. I'm sure he enjoyed his time there, but yeah, you might like be looking at different things now. So it would be great to get Tommy LaStella in. Right. Is that kind of player? Is there a chance you could get Tommy Lestella in in that kind of role? Maybe, but there's also a chance that Tommy Lestella is going to seek and find a full starting job. Yeah. Too. So, but Tommy Lestella would be a nice fit for that spot, although he falls into the utility guy who can't really play shortstop problem. Right. But if you also have Guillermo around for that, that's not as big of an issue. Um, Daniel Robertson's holding out there. He's kind yeah. of get a really, really awful season yeah. two seasons ago and then didn't play all that much last year. You know, the NRI Drury, who fits in this kind of broad role. Um, but like, the, just, Jose Peraza, for that matter, too. Just for example, Jonathan VR is more likely to take a starting job on a second division team than he is to come in and be your utility infielder just for a guy that would be like a nice depth piece that can right. play those spots you're having a hard time getting people but you might be more likely to get Lestella, who maybe just wants to be on a good team and yeah do whatever it's you know when you get down to this level of free agent and the sort of bulk of them that there are it becomes uh you know, and you know jerks a, a fit game part. Jerks and Profar is probably going to want a full-time job. Cesar mm-hmm. Hernandez is probably going to want a full-time job. Uh, Colton Wong, who I've seen brought up in Mets story. Yeah, it would be great if the Mets <laughs> could sign Colton Wong. Colton Wong is probably going to want to go somewhere that he rates to get 500 at bat. Yeah. And where where is he getting 500 at bats on the 2021 Mets? Colton Wong for his career, by the way, just actually slightly better than Luis Guillorme. Yeah. I feel like that's a little more stable, probably, oh, just because of track record. But <laughs> the 2021 Guillorme is boosting up the overall line, and I don't know if that's a new level of performance. I mean, it might be. We no, do that, that like be. us some Luis Guillorme, so. That, that's, that would be lofty for him, I think. From at day to day, any chance the Mets can get Ramon Laureano instead of signing a 31-year-old center fielder to a terrible deal? Laureano and Chris Davis 
for one of Dom, JD, Nimmo, and lower level prospects. Uh, man, I like Ramon Laureano. Don't get me wrong. That's why um, I read the Walsh tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Read the read, read the Walsh tweet. I'm not reading the Walsh tweet. <laughs> Uh, search for at JL Woj. Oh, it's at Weary Hobo now, isn't it? Search for at Weary Hobo colon Loriano, and you can find. I'm not reading this tweet on air. Liam will edit it in a way that I. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, is Loriano available? Maybe. Um. He's still pre-arb, so that's going to probably cost you more than you're expecting. I mean, you might be able to get it for that package, but that feels like a lofty package. Yeah. It also feels like a skill set that is a little more boomer bust than I want for the 2021 Mets, and I like Ramon Laureano. I don't, what are you doing with Chris Davis? Are you just DHing Chris Davis? Yeah. I like dingers. So the issue with Ramon Laureano is the same one we've discussed before. You're paying for contractual control and relative cheapness of a decent player. Mm-hmm. So you are paying a lot. You would have to trade more to get Ramon Laureano than you just traded to get Francisco Lindor. Yeah. And that is uh, everything that is wrong with baseball right now in one sentence. Yeah, it's a good way to put a pin on the correspondence. Uh, I have been writing prospect players all week, so I have not actually watched any of the relevant matches from Wrestle Kingdom. Same. Mm. So I have to put a pin in that. Yes. So, uh, yeah, right, right about... I think it's not... I'm looking at the wrong thing. Yeah, right about two and a half hours later. It's good. We're getting back into the rhythm. <laughs> Some kind of rhythm. Some kind of rhythm. That will continue moving to the beat next week on another edition. For all you kids out there. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.